0: Everybody. And welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The ask a cycling coach podcast presented by trainer road. We are not joined by our head coach, Chad Timmerman this week. Yeah. It's a holiday week. Yes. But um, instead we have you Pete
1: Morris. Yeah, well, I'll take it right. <laughs> a slightly be- less better looking version of Chad with more hair
0: <laughs> cliff bar racing's, uh, Pete Morris and yep. trainer roads, Pete Morris. Yeah, both. Thanks for being on man. Yeah,
1: this is the best. I love being on here. It's
0: really good to have you on this week because we're going to talk about things that specifically have to do with you on a bike and And you working here. So it's, it's all good stuff. And also our CEO, Nate Pearson.
2: Hello. This is the first time we've had a regular podcast without Chad that I can ever remember. I feel like it might be. Yeah, it is. We've done interviews, but never a regular one. So no pressure ooh, Pete. ooh. <laughs>
0: <Uh-oh>. <laughs> Pete's got I, 17 deep dives. He's ready I, to go. I have some things to do <laughs> actually. <laughs> so, uh, this is what, like I said, the train road podcast, and you can submit your Twitter questions every week at trainroadcom slash podcast. And I personally go through all of them. I read them. I bookmark them. Then we come together in a meeting and we research them and we come together with some questions that we feel like would be interesting and informative for all of us. We also have a few things to cover this week, uh, but before I get into that, if you are watching this on YouTube, which you should totally do, you can watch it after the fact or join us live. It's usually Thursday at 8am Pacific, but this week, because it's a holiday here in the United States, we are one day early, but in this case, uh, we you can join us on YouTube and you can actually ask questions right there. And then afterward we answer a lot of those questions that you submit, which is pretty cool. You can also subscribe to our channel there. You can like it and that sort of thing helps the podcast a ton. If you do that. So we'd really appreciate it. If you're listening to this, go over to our YouTube channel, subscribe and like this video. There's
2: 45 like or 50 watching right now at the moment and eight likes. So it
0: just ticks up, up, yep. up, up, up as it goes on. So, uh, join us. It's a lot of fun to, to have you all there. Before we go any further, we have an announcement with trainer road that we should, we should announce for everybody. It's a pretty exciting day.
2: Yes, we Nate, have our ahead. brand new, uh, windows and Mac app has mm-hmm. been released. So, uh, that was in beta for a while and it's totally redone. It's about a million times cooler <laughs> and better, but also like you can manage your calendar and do a whole bunch of cool features inside of that. So if you are on the current app today, you open it up and we'll ask you to upgrade, or if you've, uh, want to try it again, you're on mobile before go to trainerroadcom download.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. The whole experience is just like uh yeah, it's top notch. And Pete, you were you were kind of the man behind the wheel in terms of the project. It was it
1: was really cool. Uh pretty much took everybody here at Trainer Road, which was awesome. Um, but yeah, it's so clean, it's so fast, it feels really good. Mm -hmm. Um, it's so snappy. Um (laughs) we've been riding it. I mean, I haven't written mobile in months now, pretty much. Yeah. Um, which is really satisfying. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's awesome. Everybody go, go take a look. Even if you just enjoy looking at it, it's, <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. it's awesome. So you can check that out and we'd appreciate it if you do, if you head over to, if you're listening to this and you're not a trainer road user, uh, we encourage you to try it. It does make you faster. At least that's our promise. So getting into Carson city off road, cause that happened in our backyard here uh, last week, which is
1: so cool again.
0: Yeah. Super awesome. Uh, it was it was great to see so many of you. So I did the 35 this year coming off of the three week sinus infection and everything else. I thought maybe it's not a good idea to go into the 50 and go ham. Instead, I did the 35 and I went really easy with a friend, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, it was his all out pace, but it was a really easy pace for me. And I got to meet so many people. Throwing some shade. Yeah, yeah. that's on Steve. You're most. not going to mention who that friend was. Are you Steve? We love you, Steve. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was so much fun because I got to see so many people that I've, I usually don't see at these races. Right. Um, so it was <laughs> more like, shade <laughs> for all Yeah, years. yeah. Oh, <laughs> don't you shade? I just don't see him cause they're so far behind no, me. Oh man. Okay. I'm going to step back. I apologize. No, he's guys. a nice guy. I yeah. we understand
2: what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, it's
0: usually like, I'm like, you've mentioned this before, before a race, I'm, I'm in my zone. Yeah. I'm hyper-focused and then I, I usually race really hard and I don't really talk to people. And if they talk yeah. to me, I just kind of keep going. And in this case, it was very conversational <laughs> and it was really fun.
2: 90 minutes before the race through the race till the finish line. Then you're back to regular John. Yeah,
0: exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 So it was really fun. Uh, we got to like carry on conversations while going up the climbs aid stations. There were a bunch of you. Uh, it was really cool. So thanks for, for coming up and saying hi. And, mm-hmm. um, it was, it was really fun and Pete, you were up there. You yeah, saw I was up too? there.
1: I was at a, I was at a couple aid stations first and second one. And I wrote some sections. Um, every, uh, numerous people came up to me and talked to me. It was super fun. Um, everybody was having a blast. Uh, I, not that I don't usually I hang out at the back or further behind you in these races. So right. everybody's having a little more fun, but hanging out at the aid station for an hour at a time, you got yeah. to, you got to hang out with a lot of people who are having a good time and still still racing. Yep. Um, but tons of train road users, tons of people who want to talk about the podcast, tons of people who want to talk about the product. Yeah, it was, it was really fun.
0: Uh, The day before and the day after it was, it was serious time for the pros and the fat tire crit. So we are a team sponsor of the Stans pivot team and they won three out of four races on the weekend. Which is really impressive. Uh, <laughs> super cool. And in the women's uh, backcountry race, the long 50 miler, they got first and second, which is really great. And in the race that they didn't sweep, uh, they still got second. Chloe Woodruff got second, which is really impressive. So you can head over to our YouTube channel and you can actually see we have onboard race analysis uh, with GoPros that we've done with Sofia Gomez Vidiafanye, which uh, that one, super impressive.
2: Yeah, so <laughs> she does a break at the very beginning, she attacks. And her power is seriously like my power, <laughs> which is pretty <crazy. laughs> like- tiny. She holds like eight hundred watts for I don't know like five or ten seconds. She then settles into like six hundred for like another thirty. I'm probably exaggerating, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. She's five foot five. Yeah, and what one eighteen? One eighteen. <laughs> so one hundred eighteen pounds. <laughs> but I mean, she, I mean, she gets Super up to nine hundred watts yeah. on her doing the snap initial snap to create a breakaway. And
0: then she goes into the turn. And when we were watching it live, or like, or sorry, when I was watching it beforehand, taking notes, I was like, okay, yeah, she did a hard effort. She's probably going to settle in around you know maybe four hundred. Nope, she goes back up. To 800,
2: I, like, yeah, I thought she's going to sell around like two fifty or something. <laughs> yeah. but yeah. So, yeah. uh, Sophia, she needs, she needs to do, I think road racing. She should try it like a, tr- like a
0: crit racer, track sprinter sort of or, or road. She can do long stuff too. Oh yeah. I mean, that's why she's doing mountain biking because it's that plus fun.
2: She could mm-hmm. get into any breakaway. She can bridge to a breakaway. And I think at like one K to go, she'd be really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with that power, like uh, that weight, she could probably sprint. Yeah. Yeah. She and does have a sprint. Excellent handling too. Yeah. 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 She could be a killer
0: road racer, quick racer. She's a killer mountain biker. I think that's <laughs> yeah. like the pinnacle for her. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I know, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just want to see it happen.
1: <laughs> go see her dominate. Yeah, yeah you should there. check out this video
0: if you haven't. Uh, so it's on there and it's called how to race as a team because they were perfectly, basically like she went hard and she was not planning on getting on a solo break that would lasted almost the entire race, but her goal was to go hard and then make people chase. And then her teammates were just going to latch on. And then once she got caught, they would attack, right. And mm-hmm. just re- r- rinse and
2: repeat yeah. with her two teammates. Can we talk about that strategy for a second? For sure. Yeah. Cause I think it needs more talk cause you can do it wrong where you just hire. <laughs> yourself out. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: for sure. Okay. So,
2: uh, I'm going to say it, Pete, then you correct all the things I say, wrong. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Just like (laughs) try Yeah. Okay. So when you do it, when you do the first attack, it's always better if it's a little bit slower and whoever is attacking, if they can come from behind Mm -hmm. so they can get more speed and why that is, is because instead of doing like burning a match from a sprint off the front, Mm -hmm. you can kind of ramp it up slowly and it doesn't hurt as much, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but then a reaction from the field kind of hurts everybody. Cause they accelerate so fast.
0: Yeah. Yep. It's best not to be that second wheel. Yeah. If, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if they, you want people to fill in. So if mm-hmm. you're, if you're a teammate and there is that acceleration, let a couple people fill in ahead of you. So your acceleration is easier too. you're doing great so far. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Keep it going.
2: Yeah. Um, now if they don't accelerate, like there is no reaction. What's really helpful then is for your teammates to get to the front. Right at a tempo, not hard, but a tempo Mm -hmm. Mike spikes. We talked about this. Does a great job at this, at least in the lower categories. This doesn't really work in the upper categories. Yeah. People like won't realize that there's a Jersey up the road. That's yours. And you're at the front with the Jersey totally. And they'll just sit in your draft and Mm -hmm. that
0: could give you an extra 10 seconds on a lap, 20 seconds. Can I interject on that? Yeah. So if you watch, we have another video with Keegan. And you'll see the giant factory off-road team doing that very thing and doing a great job of it. Yep. Tristan Yule is a very good crit racer. He's a super
1: good crit racer. And
0: you'll see him, like, even he, like, rolls. He'll even, like, burn a bit of a match. Not really a match, but he'll even go a little hard to roll to the front before a turn. And then he'll take the ideal line in the turn and then just kind of, and it's not dangerous, right? He's not like cutting in front of everybody. He just rolls to the front, then kind of goes slow and takes a bad line yep. in the turn, then everybody has to slow down a mm-hmm. bit and then they have to accelerate. And then he just, once again, like you said, when everybody accelerates around him, it's like, he just lets everybody fill in. Then yep. he doesn't have to reaccelerate. What
2: you do is you and smooth just, out your whole race mm-hmm. by yep. not, by not doing that. And when you have teammates up too. Mm-hmm. So then when that happens, the key is
1: you don't go too slow. Yeah. If you go too slow, they'll just, they'll come around you hard. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And another good way, if, if there's a lot of battling to be at the front, you can be third or fourth wheel and you can kind of be a barrier between people who could work. Mm. Um, so if two people are working on the front, they'll end up, you know, they, they don't want to do all of it, all of the chasing themselves. And if nobody is coming around you to help them, that kind of disrupts things too. Another so, another one mm-hmm. at the front, I did this for both of you guys. Um, so if if there
2: is a chase, let's say a single file and there's a corner or something and you're say second or third wheel, just let that gap open mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you let it open. And especially if it's going really hard mm-hmm. and it gets to three or four bike links, people will yell at you. <laughs> yeah. Um, it matters who's in front of you. Cause they might bridge. Yeah. Um, if you don't want them to like, if it's a really good sprinter. You probably want to stay there, but if not, yeah. you just let that open. The breakaway has now happened. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. That's huge too. Letting gaps open, And Mike's bikes is really good at that too. Letting gaps open, um, yep. And it's annoying. It's annoying. It's annoying. That's why, you know, it's a good race tactic, right? When you're like, ah, yeah,
0: it's annoying. You'll see a small detail that I picked out that Chloe Woodruff did really well in this, in this race. When you're watching Sophia's footage is when Sophia gets caught, which spoiler alert, (laughs) um, but when she gets caught and you'll be surprised at how long it takes, you'll see everybody. And it's Kate Courtney world champion. You've got Rose grant current marathon national champion. You've got Catherine Pendrel previous world champion and just absolute legend mm-hmm. and Chloe Woodruff, like really fast athletes, Ellen noble, uh, mm-hmm. like really fast ones. And you'll see Chloe kind of watching out of the corner of her eye, waiting for Kate Courtney to look over. And as soon as she looks over, she snaps and that's when oh. she does her counterattack. It's like perfectly mm-hmm. timed, sneaky. Yeah. Sneaky. Cause the, she basically is like, I know that these are the athletes who want to watch and this is what I'm going to do. Okay. It's, and it's and it's the perfect time because they get caught. She was kind of toward the front, so she didn't just go off the front encounter. She just recycled back in waited till they weren't looking and then went again.
2: Um it's cool. Going off the front does work if the second wheel is your teammate. Yep. Then you can kind of just like go away and <sighs> okay. then someone opens the gap.
0: You've d- you did that for me a few weeks ago, I think. Yep, you just yep. went
2: and I was like, "Okay, yeah, uh, and I, th- I even made like a, I don't know if I got out of the saddle, but I looked, I made a look yeah, like yeah. I was going <laughs> nice. after you, you sold it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that helped or not, but, uh, okay. So let's say one person's off the front and they are pulling and always let somebody else pull. I think last week and we, we both raced and, uh, a teammate tried to bridge to his teammate and just ended up pulling the whole field. <laughs> yeah. So don't do that. Yeah. yeah don't do that. <laughs> like shut down the own break. Right. So I think the next thing is when you counter, so the next person does again from the back. Mm-hmm. Do it almost in when there's like, where you can use the, your other teammate as a draft. So you come by people, draft yes. by that person and slingshot around. Yeah. Don't do is, is the person off the front. Let's say it's Jonathan gets caught. You wait 90 seconds. Cause everyone's going to be fresh. Cause you're like, oh, I'm tired too. Mm-hmm. But everyone's tired. Mm-hmm. What you want to do by doing this is. The Peloton gives up on the chase and then you can solo at like sweet spot and still win. That's mm-hmm. why
0: it's so important to be not, I mean, it's, it, there is benefit to being second wheel. Sometimes if it's somebody you really want to mark, but at the same time, it's so helpful to be five, seven wheels back, Ten wheels because back, yeah. I feel like the biggest thing with a counterattack is differential of speed because mm-hmm. you really need to make them work hard to try to mm-hmm. catch you. And, and this, that's something you're so good at Pete.
1: Yeah. I would say one thing is. Try to get or try to figure out when they're going to catch your teammate So you want to know half a lap beforehand or you know long enough that you can get yourself into position Get ready to attack to pass them like Nate said and not only are you using them for a draft But they're also going to kind of disrupt the peloton behind you Yeah <laughs> And the other part of this is they get a rest if you counterattack because they can kind of sit up and trickle through the field As everybody else does the work <laughs> and then they get they're not kind of hammered against when someone else attacks and they're like you know it's it's all those things when they get back
2: on they don't have to be at the front of the race they exactly. go all the way to the back again mm-hmm. and this too is very uh course dependent oh, so yeah. on air center mm-hmm.
0: it's huge air There's center no, is a local criterium you have you can see it in videos we've done on yeah. race analysis very, very wide roads
2: you. simple corners if it's like this threaded uh single um, kind of like carson or mm-hmm. if it's if mm-hmm. it's like um hilly, the, these strategies are, are a little bit different, um, you for pick, where your, where your yeah. position, you don't want to be hanging out the back. If it's hilly, cause gaps mm-hmm. will open and stuff, or if it's single file on this technical,
1: you could be gaps, but for a four corner crit, mm-hmm. I think that's how you do it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and basic road races, right? Yeah. That yep. all these tactics still apply. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's uh, it's really interesting. You also see in some cases where like uh, their teammates about to get caught and the field kind of eases up, but let's say that you, Pete, are in the back and I'm up uh, up at the front, right? So you're back with the pack. You can tell that I'm going to get caught. It's mm-hmm. it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen very soon. Yeah. But the field kind of eases up, maybe to let, hang me out to dry. Sometimes you'll see, in this case, you, know, you would attack to get up to me and bridge over the top of me mm-hmm. to still put another one of our riders up at the front if yeah. they're going to sit. It's, it's really, it's, it's dynamic, but, and you'll see all of these tactics employed in these race analysis videos Yep. and between Sophia and Keegan's video, which is super impressive. Yeah. He raced very patiently, which it's a, uh, he's a patient person, but it's not his style to race so patiently because he kind of can race how he wants and it yeah, ends up working so, out. Yeah.
2: He's, he's just too strong.
0: Yeah, yeah. But he raced really patiently and was smart in this one. So you can learn a ton from that. But those two race analysis videos, I feel like are super, super helpful. It was
1: really fun to watch those. Um, mm-hmm. So that if
2: if you are racing against that tactic, here, I won't, here's my opinion. You you mm-hmm. tell me the right answer, yeah. Pete. Is uh, <laughs> I feel like when I, so you're a solo rider and you have teams doing this, you got to get you got to go with one of the people that that goes on that break mm-hmm. um, because then you're like leveraging the other team's tactics. Yep. Mm-hmm. And though I, this is tough. Is like how deep do you want to go? Like how committed do you want to go? Because you can't go
1: with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That'll be too much
0: you have to place you have to you mean you have to gamble you have to yep. place your bets yep.
1: exactly yeah you know? and pick pick the right person to go with right like there's almost always a sacrificial rider that goes at early but sometimes they send their strongest guy early and that's mm-hmm. a great i mean it works more often than the second or third, uh, well, it doesn't work that often, but just pay attention to who's going and you know, if they're winning races or they're a strong guy. And, and if the team is organized, it almost doesn't matter who gets up the road because they'll employ such good tactics in the field that they can shut everything Mm -hmm. down. And if there's (laughs) uh like in
2: masters racing, in my experience in Northern California, total team tactics, but if there is three or four of the jerseys of the top teams, mm-hmm. the race is pretty much over. Yep. The whole peloton right. doesn't chase. Cause there's, if they're represented in the front, yeah. then there's like 25 teammates in mm-hmm. the Peloton <laughs> yeah. and they're Yet. not doing any work. Right. Yeah. And so the, the single, the single riders really have to get together. And that
1: really doesn't usually happen. Cause they're still mm-hmm. going 22 or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They mm-hmm. feel like they're going well, fast. And the guys who were, would be able to chase that back are in the move. Yep. Right. They always make it. And yep. then the guys who are just racing to race, aren't going to do any work to pull back for six place. You know?
0: Yeah. We also have a crit coming up, uh, or I should say the race has already happened, but we're working on the race analysis. It's going to be a dynamic one because we're going to bounce between three different riders, all three of us, mm-hmm. a recent air center crit where we kind of did all of these things at one point or another. Um, you got up the road early. Yep, we weren't you know. necessarily racing for Pete, yeah. but I think both of us had a soft spot because they're both like, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Pete's up the road. <laughs> no, yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I, you were, I was, I yeah. was not, that was racing like a teammate for you.
0: Yeah. yeah. And then after that, Nate and I got to race as a team for the rest of the race and it's dynamic and super interesting. It's uh, it's pretty cool. So, uh, so yeah, awesome stuff. Uh, another thing I want to give credit to as well as Keegan won the 50 mile race by three minutes, which yeah. is a huge margin, a uh, really good job there. And, uh, just to give you an idea of what he did, so he weighs 145 pounds and he did 283 normalized power for three hours and three minutes with a ton of coasting. Like, uh, you know, that's crazy for mountain biking. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Um, which is crazy. And he averaged almost 16 miles an hour on that course. That's crazy to me. Yeah. The mind bending part (laughs) is how fast they go up like the long steady climbs. It's just like they're, it's like, basically what us normal people would do on a road climb of the same. Mm -hmm. And they just go on mountain bikes that quick. I can't even do that on a road bike, like to be, to be totally (laughs) fair. (laughs) What's what's his FTP? Um, I think that right now he's, he says he's three eighty at sea level, but I feel like he actually might be higher than that.
2: That's 5.7 Watts per kilo. So 145 pounds or 65 kilograms at 380 watt FTP.
0: I reckon he's closer to 400. That's why he's yeah, best in the nation or that's it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So super impressive. And then Chloe and Rose one would it all the way to, to the, basically to the line and then Rose grant got the win. So really super impressive weekend for them. And fun to see all of you. Uh, we have a lot of content coming up. Like I said, you can check our YouTube channel and you can see the uh, race analysis that we did with them. Another congratulations to Nick Gibb of cliff bar racing, your teammate. Yes. Uh, he is a Mm paracyclist and he won two national championships this weekend. Yeah. He defended. his road race and yep. got the tt and got the tt yeah super impressive yeah it's rad uh, way to go nick uh, awesome person you all should follow him on any sort of like like instagram profile or anything yeah. else cuz it's really interesting and i that guy is so strong he's so much faster than i am <laughs> me too <laughs> <laughs> yeah. went to team camp and i was like man he is so fast he's a new addition and he tore my legs off um one last thing too uh want to welcome producer tucker uh to the team here and thank producer Ian, who's with us for, for so long, uh, Ian's moving on to pursue his career in economics. So, or finance, I should say. So, uh, but awesome to have producer Tucker here. So he's <laughs> handling the stream and all that stuff for all of you. All right. Getting into it. Uh, this next one, this is from Christo. I believe that's how you'd say the name. Says hi guys. I'm the brand manager for the ABSA Cape epic and often listen to your podcast. Hey, there we go. I use your platform to get me through winter last year. Thanks. Now we can use it through summer. He has outside workouts. Exactly. There we go. Yeah, thanks, yep. He says, Question done. <laughs> 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 moving on. He says on the Cape epic route, the route actually changes every year and is a well-kept secret until it's announced in September. This is referring to last week when we were talking about the fact that we didn't know how similar the route remained year to year. He says, although the route uses a lot of private land that cannot be ridden outside of the event, some sections can be ridden depending on where the route goes in a particular year. Even just riding in the area will help you get used to the riding conditions on the route. He also says an option would be taking part in the wines to Wales event that takes place in October. It's a three day event and uses sections that has been part of the Cape epic in the past. Uh, and he says, feel free to give him a shout. If you have any further questions, we do have questions. <laughs> so hopefully Christos listening to this. Yes. Let's go into it.
2: Well, and I don't have questions at the moment, okay. about Cape Epic, but I will, yeah, yeah. so I'll, I'll, email you directly. Hopefully or,
0: you, we did mention, we, we did talk about pre riding a bit on this one and yeah, that, how you kind of want to go about it.
2: So this is, this is how I feel about pre-writing. If I want to pre-ride sections that I think I'm going to be limited technically, not because I'm going to memorize those sections, especially when I'm going to do it a year ahead of time. Mm-hmm. It's to know that, um, where I need to like. Get my fitness level, or maybe my tire choice, or my equipment choice,
0: or technical level.
2: Yeah, not not, Mm -hmm. yeah, technical level. That's pretty much it for me. Not fitness level because that kind of is what it is. Right. And not gonna magically be like, oh, I need to be at five (laughs) watts. I'll I'll turn it up this year. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. uh, And I think a lot of people when they they pre ride the course, some of it's just like familiarity, like not to have fear on the course, Mm -hmm. but really like if I know if I ride in those conditions and it's like okay, I need uh, it's gonna be really loose, so I'm gonna have a little bit of grippier tire um and then i'll do a couple tech sections that have been in the race before and if people say this is kind of indicative of what a normal race would be like and i can ride those tech, session, tech tech sections without a lot of uh difficulty mm-hmm. then i'll be okay Mm-hmm. Now there's the week before pre-ride, which is different, and I think Jonathan does this where you're trying to ride for maximum speed, yeah. finding the best lines. You're
0: basically chasing like marginal gains, right? Yeah, you're right. trying to look at the course and see every little bit you can squeeze out of it. Yeah, uh, and you're memorizing and memorizing it. It's not like uh, basically seeing where the benchmark is and where I need to be in relation to that. At that point, I can't change any of that. So instead, yeah. I'm just really focusing on marginal gains, basically. And this is
2: too where in your brain you're like. uh. Jonathan goes back and he visualizes parts of the course. Yes. Mm-hmm. He might stop on the course, go back and take another line. Mm-hmm. Um, he might play with his air pressure or his suspension and do it multiple times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A year out, I don't even know what the course is. None of that stuff matters. Mm-hmm. Um, in Ironman stuff, all the time, people are like, oh, I need to ride the course. I need to ride the course.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. We even had the question on that a couple of weeks yeah. ago, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and I would argue there's no need in Ironman racing at all to do the course. Right. Um, even if there's any sharp turn, like, it wouldn't be a sharp road racing turn. Like they put up signs. Signs and everything. everything. And they have Two a marshal. Right? Yeah, they have a marshal with a flag yeah. and say, Stop here, do yeah. this. Yeah. Um mm. if you can ride your bike outside on the road, like you can do it. And then oh, yeah. the other stuff is just gearing. Just have enough gears mm-hmm. to uh to get up something really steep, if they say there's a 15% grade, oh, that's probably too steep. But if they say there's an yeah. 8% sustained grade, just make sure you have a compact with a 28 or 32, mm-hmm. and you'll probably be okay.
0: Yep. Yeah, exactly. There's there really are like different purposes of pre riding. So in your case, you just want to get to know basically like what the what level you'll have to perform at. um, I just want an excuse to go to South Africa. <laughs> no, yeah, you know, Africa. I have a
2: learning event there at the same time yeah, that's, uh, for this entrepreneur organization group I'm in, and I was like, "Whoa, it's the same time of year." It's perfect. So I might as well bring yeah. a bike and, or rent a bike. I'll bring a bike because I want to see how my bike yeah. performs on that with the
1: tires of my choice. Smart. Um, and just see. and I went to Cape Town last summer, and I would say it's strikingly similar to kind of our area like tahoe north star north star definitely um but yeah i would definitely go do that Yeah, Mm -hmm. so why
0: not? Why not? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I would definitely go to South Africa. Yes, please. Uh, Gabe's question. He says, Hey guys, first things first, five stars. Awesome. And you can rate the podcast on any platform that you use to listen to it. Uh, five stars, please. And if not, then just let us know what we can do to be better. You can do that at trainerroadcom slash podcast says I love the podcast and product I've been using trainer road for about two years now, ever since I started cycling competitively and I've seen some great gains. I'm a 30 year old cat four rider, 168 pounds with a 302 watt FTP. My a race is on July 13th, the capital region road race in New York, which that's coming up exciting Mm -hmm. stuff says, which is supposed to be a challenging course, but my question is not about that. A race (laughs) (laughs) on July 14th, the next day, my parents want to do an extremely casual team triathlon in Vermont. It consists of a one and a half mile kayak leg, a 14 mile rolling bike leg and a five K run. The expectation right now is that I will do the kayak and bike legs and that my mom will run the five K. Normally, the day after my A race, I just want to recover and take this as an opportunity to spin my legs. And that should work well as this is an entirely for fun, and he says in quotes, event. However, I looked at last year's results and there was only one other family team in the mixed gender, mixed age category. It's a very prestigious category. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I know, I, he says, and I now have it in my head that if we compete this year, I must do everything I can to destroy them. <laughs> they probably not even show up. <laughs> they aren't even there. They they didn't even know it was an event. They just yeah, like were yeah. there. They're like, I guess we can I do I have it. my kayak with me. Yeah, sure. And now this guy just wants to destroy them. It's hilarious. A very cyclist of us, right? He says, so my question is, what can I do both in my recovery and my gear choices in order to maximize my ability to go over the top in this fun triathlon event Without damaging myself in the long term. To be clear, the A race is obviously my priority, and I'm not willing to sacrifice my A race for this inconsequential event. But I really, really want to wreck this other family that I've never met and may never end up competing against. For the bike, I will be on a CAD 10 with deep wheels. I can try to borrow some clip on arrow bars from a teammate. Is there anything else I can do to glean some extra speed from this setup? And he says, for the kayak portion, well, I haven't kayaked in years, and I won't be able to do until the day of the event. Thanks for all the advice and keep up the great work. So first things first, I want to cover the recovery thing. He says, what can I do both in my recovery and my gear choices so yeah post race recovery
2: so there um one, I don't think you're going to have uh long term damage to your body, like you said, what can I do in damage? It's a fourteen mile event. Yeah, you'll be fine. Yeah. And then, we uh, probably
0: have doms as we talked about last week from kayaking, but mm-hmm. that'll probably <laughs> be it. Yeah.
2: And the road race, if it's a cat for a road race, um, we didn't look up the distance, but yeah. probably 60 miles. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times challenging course. Yes. But, Sometimes road races aren't
1: that hard. Yeah. Like, taxing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Like 60, 60, mile race the next day, depending on if, you know, you're, if you're doing nothing close to, you know, consistent training, something like that, it can be hard, but if you're training consistently, you can rebound pretty quick from that.
2: Yeah. So, so in general, I wouldn't really worry a ton. You're probably gonna feel mm-hmm. good, but let's mm-hmm. go into. The the marginal gain details <laughs> that I <laughs> love so much. Yes, um, you probably just wake up and take a caffeine pill and smash it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but okay, so in general, uh, when you when you when you exercise, your body has an inflammation response, and that inflammation response is good, and that's where your tells your body it needs to repair these things, and you build stronger, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we've heard before about things you can do that blunt that response that make you feel better, but will probably have impacts. Um, on your long-term fitness gains. In mm-hmm. other words,
0: yeah, you like your your body won't be able to make a whole lot of adaptations, but you may recover. You may feel better, yep. you know, mm-hmm. within the immediate time frame.
2: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that category first. Cool. Um, things that that reduce inflammation quickly that might make it so you don't have long-term performance though. Uh, one is uh, ice baths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are shown makes you feel better, but yep. hurts long-term adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, right afterwards, you could do tart cherry juice, pomegranate. Um,
0: they're antioxidants. antioxidants, anything rich in antioxidants is what you're going for.
2: Yep. Um, that could reduce muscle damage so that you could feel better the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, fish oil, although fish oil is the one that's a little bit different is you can, that actually has been shown not to blunt adaptions. Mm-hmm. So do take fish oil. Do mm-hmm. take fish oil. Um, compression. Think, yeah.
0: Compression where maybe, I guess we're talking about external stuff. You're yeah, talking but about things you would ingest.
2: I don't really know about It's So it's, it's so kinda. tough. I would just do it because yeah. it's their compression socks are cheap mm-hmm. and they're it's, trying to measure small gains, like half a percent. There has to be some travel involved
1: with this, the day yes. of the race. So. New York to Vermont, yeah.
0: you know, so you, you are traveling. I, mm-hmm. I, I feel a difference when I use compression socks when traveling around For racing, sure. I don't know what percentage it is, but I feel a difference.
2: So there's that category. And the number one category is going to be, uh, hydration and carbs. For sure. So, oh, yeah. And especially, uh, during a road race, you might not be touching your bottle as much mm-hmm. as normal. Um, you're more, uh, like, uh. Uh, in like you're in the race, right. Instead mm-hmm. of training where you're drinking a lot. So, and then lots of carbs I would do. I mean, you've heard me say this before, but <laughs> a lot, a lot of carbs, that's probably going to make you feel of all these things besides, unless you're dehydrated mm-hmm. the best, the next day. Um, yeah. Checking and, those two boxes. You'll, yeah, you'll, really you'll right. perform the next day for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. And everything else is, <clears throat> I wouldn't go online and buy like tart cherry juice, expensive or pomegranate extract or go buy some compression socks, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, what about
0: equipment? So yeah, I think that's the other side of things. So mm-hmm. assuming the recovery is good, mm-hmm. going into the triathlon, the things he could do for equipment. Mm-hmm. What stands out to you first, speed? Um, I think
1: the cheapest, best bang for the buck is always your helmet. If you can get it, if you already have an Arrow Road helmet, use it. It's, mm-hmm. If you have a huge old school vented something, yeah, yeah. and you can borrow a TT helmet, it's a guarantee that's free speed. Um, Clip on bars are uh, iffy. Um, if you ride with them all the time. And you're used to them. It's better. But I, if I put clip-ons on my bike, I go slower. Yep. Yeah, I was the same way at the
2: beginning. That's why the, the TT stuff is tough because it's a battle of position and power. Yep. And if you're not used to it, some mm. people can be thrown onto a TT bike and they're instantly like three miles per hour faster. <laughs> yes. Um, but like, it's a good point. You're faster in your bike without clip-ons. I am, I, I think I am too. Yeah
0: you can also i think a skin suit if you have mm-hmm. one if this is the day to use it yeah. that sort of a thing Ka- for sure kayaking, kayaking in the too. skin suit yeah for <laughs> sure yes, for sure yeah. <laughs> kayak in the skin suit um i mean it makes such a difference uh, when we talked to the folks that specialize in a previous podcast super dave Kazel and uh, and chris you We were talking and we actually asked them about the sleeves, right. And long sleeves versus short sleeves. And the thing that they basically said is, well, the bigger thing you should focus on is if there's a wrinkle, then Mm -hmm. it's probably slower. So like if you have long sleeves, but it introduces a lot of wrinkles, it's probably slower, right? Really? You just want to get rid of wrinkles and you want it to be wrinkle free or as wrinkle free as possible. The stuff that's, you know, leading edge or in the wind, that sort of a thing. So if you can do a skin suit, usually that's why they're faster is because they're smaller, they kind of. (laughs) <laughs> put you in an uncomfortable position, this, but curl. It's, uh, yeah, exactly. Right. But they, they help with that. Um, I don't think that, you know, you, I mean, if you really want to chase marginal gains, you can go after like shoe covers and you can go through all this stuff and with shoe covers, we've talked about this before, but it seems that the general consensus, and I believe this was backed up when we went to Aero uh, sports, uh, the, at the, when we were training at the velodrome, I think that we were talking about the fact that shoe covers that that cover your shoe and then tall arrow socks above that seem to be the fastest combo.
2: Yeah. So it was weird. It's like all things arrow. It depends. Not all things. Arrow helmets are always like always a faster. Arrow right? road helmets always faster. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah. It, norm, normally, I think it, uh, Jim was his name, right? Jim. Mm-hmm. He um. He liked velo toes. Mm-hmm. I think with socks. Yeah. and We put velo toes on Chad, and Chad was like four watts slower. Yeah, like so. It's <laughs> so like, it was, oh shoot, it's tricky. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's really tricky. Yeah, so it's hard to know if shoe covers are going to be faster in this situation. Um, he not he might not be able to wear road shoes in the kayak because there might be a run. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, good point. So you might want to just <laughs> skip the uh,
1: the covers because you're going to have to do a transition from your yeah. kayak to the bike. Yeah, your 15 mile ride, you'll save a couple seconds That's with right. shoe covers, so that putting them on is going to take more time than they will save you.
0: He yeah. will have kayaked and then yes. go- getting straight onto the bike. Yeah, so holding, right. holding that position in the T in the arrow bars when your upper body is completely blown out from kayaking like that, probably not going to be easy either, so it'd be mm-hmm. better to be in your normal position. Um, so he talks about if he could borrow some deep section wheels and wheels are said to definitely, uh, or he says he has deep wheels. Um, they definitely help for sure. But one thing I think that another overlooked thing that's, you know, it's a, it's a buy, like you have to buy it, but tires, they make a huge difference. I don't know what tires you have on there. If you have gator skins going to something like the new GP five thousands, for example, would garner you a ton of time. 5,000 TL TL. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, I'll I'll talk about those tires in just a second, but he's doing the road race before Mm -hmm. he should have great tires on his bike. Hopefully, Mm -hmm. hopefully not gator skins. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so the GP five or the GP 4,000 was like a classic tire, really popular in triathlon. It's like a benchmark tire and it was so yeah it's very old tire why people liked it so much is low rolling resistance but also aerodynamics mm-hmm. and um the story that i heard from someone in the industry is they put some extra uh extra rubber on the outer edge to have it last longer and that just made the airfoil come out just a little bit and it was something magical that it they perfect. they got better aerodynamics <laughs> yep huh. and then there was the GP4000 S2 which improved mm-hmm. uh-huh. And now they did a new line, which is the 5,000 GP, 5,000, and they have the regular GP 5,000 and the GP 5,000 TL. Yep. Um, so bike rolling resistance, bicycle, rolling resistance.com, something like that. They have, uh, Tucker, can you put that in the show notes, bicycle yeah. rolling resistance, um, they have results on just a smooth drum roll down at different air pressures. So take that as you will. I think there's one that has like a little bit of roughness to it, mm-hmm. but the 5,000 GP 5,000 TL is like a half a watt slower or one watt slower than the Corsa speed G plus, which is a paper thin tire, Oh yeah, super Mm -hmm. fast. I've used that for a long time. If you
0: breathe like hotly (laughs) on it, it will flat.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, but really like the benchmark for speed. Mm -hmm. Um, but then the TL has better rolling or not better, pretty much the same rolling resistance, but really good grip and puncture protection. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. just a little bit heavier, but that's fine. So that's the tire that I've. Using everywhere, mm-hmm. um, it also has a 25, a 28, and a 32. So, yep. on our venges that fit a 32, yeah, when we go to uh, Kona, 32 all day long, it's That'd gonna be, be so be nice, Cadillac, like <laughs> nice and and comfy. comfy. So and I think some of these, like Belgian Waffle Ride, yeah, mm-hmm. a 32 GP 5000 yeah. TL, where it's 90% road or 80% road and then some gravel, mm-hmm. that could be awesome too.
0: It'd be a good setup for yeah. sure. So um, anyways, I would
2: get that tire. Yeah.
0: And, 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 and full on this, you know, we have no association with continental whatsoever. We I just know. try to find the fast things and yeah. then we try to share We them. choose what we want, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I actually don't even run that tire. I run the S works turbo. And as a result, I have great fear at all times that I'm going to, my tires are just going to fall apart because it's a pretty <laughs> fragile tire, but man, it runs well. I would say not so.
2: maybe not fragile, but it's not. Durable. like it's not tread, intentionally made yeah. to be durable. The yeah, tread runs point. down fast, but, yep. um, I would like to see you ride the five thousands because I feel like the grip, you really like the, the, the you like feel, the, grip you like the the feel, you like the grip of the S works.
0: Yeah. Pump. The S works turbo feels so good. I like Try it the, really c- predictable.
2: The 5,000 TL has amazing grip too. Huh,
0: cool. I'll give it a shot. And I usually can't feel anything. So, yeah, the can see it. it That's like, a good wow. point. Yeah. Uh, let's move into Dylan's question. I think that we've given him enough, actually, in this <laughs> yeah, case. Yeah, too yeah. much. Yeah. Just eat and drink. Gabe, uh, go destroy that family, as you said. Yeah, let us know, too. <laughs> yeah, yep. please. That'll be fun. Uh, you can do that actually in the forum on this episode. That would be fun because then everybody else listening to this could know yeah. about it. So,
2: forum.trainerroad.com.
0: Yep. And just search for episode 210, this episode. Uh, Dylan says I have mountain bike nationals coming up in July. It has a 700 foot steady climb and then a long downhill back. Yep. And I'm also prepping for this. He says I live in Texas and we have punchy short Hills. Should I do a lot of loops to add up to 700 feet or should I not train to climbing at all? So I think there's like a bunch of things to unpack from this because first of all, it's Texas versus high altitude, Colorado.
1: Yeah, it's in, it's in winter park.
0: Yeah. So we're 9,000 feet is where yeah. we start. I think 8,600 or something like that. That's higher than Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Measurably. <laughs> so actually, yeah, yeah, it is. It is higher than Texas. <clears throat> so there's a lot of other variables to include, but, but I guess pulling those out temporarily mm-hmm. and just talking about the fact that you have a 700 foot climb coming up, so is the best way to train just to do a 700 foot climb for that. I think that's kind of like the core question because that's a tendency that's, I feel like we'd have.
2: Everybody has that question. Yeah, and I feel like we've I've we've answered this before, yes. but we're answering it again. because people we've asked this question yeah. Maybe we can cut this one out and just send it to people <laughs> just over and over yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. I'll pay,
0: I'll put money behind it for ads. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't Just play it all the time. Yeah, exactly. So I guess thinking about this, uh, I, I, I straight out, I don't think that the best way for you to train is to look at it like it's 700 feet. So I need to be able to climb 700 feet.
2: Yep. That's not what it is when you're, when you're working out, it's an energy system for a certain amount of time. And that translates even more accurately to a wattage for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. So what you need to figure out is on this race for 700 feet of climb, how long would that be for me? Like at race pace, Mm -hmm. uh, and what kind of wattage would I do? How, what's the max amount of
0: wattage that I could do for that time. Yeah. Or more directly, what percentage of your threshold that would be since he's going to be having elevation. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, you're right. That's Mm -hmm. this is the, that's the next level. (laughs) Yeah. And then
2: can I now repeat that multiple times in training? With some kind of rest or
1: stuff in between. And then can I raise that up? Yeah. Yep. And, and you tweak it so that it's repeatable for training, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're going to, you're going to work a little bit below at, and a little bit above,
0: right? Yep. Cause chances are you'll do four or five laps. I don't know how many we'll do yet. Um, so, you know, that's, and it's a big marker. It seems like in this course, there's not a whole, I don't know. I, I could be wrong. And I've ridden this climb before. I, yeah. I think um, I have to actually, so it's not like, uh, uh, after this, there's not a whole lot to the course. You know, it's just kind of like this big climb and being up at elevation in this case as well, you know, that, that really makes the climb the feature of the course. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be something that you really want to make sure that you have trained enough to be able to do well at, and yeah. then you execute properly on it.
2: So this is how I figure out how long, cause I do this all the time and I analyze it, go on Strava, find the segment, um, on Strava. I'm usually, let's say, I don't really know for sure, but I'm going to guess 20% slower than pros. Mm-hmm. So I say, or the top, the time. top, right, mm-hmm. the top yeah. time. And mm-hmm. if there's like a crazy pro like Phil Gaiman or something, I throw that one out. Yeah, yeah. Or I look for other people that are like me mm-hmm. that I know. That's the best if I know somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I don't, I look at that. So I subtract that, and I go, oh, this is kind of my time. that I go up. Gonna, I'm going to go up. I then look at the results and see. Look for people in my weight area mm-hmm. that actually had a power meter and mm-hmm. I need lots of results because sometimes the power numbers are crazy. it mm-hmm. will be a little lightning bolt on desktop if mm-hmm. you have a uh, mm-hmm. power and yep. I just like, okay, so they did 300 Watts for 15 minutes. And, and it
0: took them this time.
2: Yep. And, and this is their weight. At least that's the report. they probably heavier than that. On Strava. as <laughs> um, happens, <laughs> we always record our weight
0: on the best days, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: And then I know that's my benchmark or mm-hmm. well, that's. That's like what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I could do more power than that power to me, um, really though, the power is kind of second. Mm-hmm. If I just know it's a seven minute climb, yes. I'm going to figure out my max power that I can do for seven minutes. and I know I'm going to have to do it eight times, mm-hmm. or yeah.
0: then I'll do it in a workout eight times, like, and really like, if you look at it, chances are that falls within a specific and like for this race, you don't have to worry about repeatability really, uh, especially yeah. because you're talking about being up at elevation. So you're not going way over threshold and coming back in. Cause if you do that, then your race is basically done. Mm-hmm. Like you just won't be able to perform very well. So in this case, it's all about you know, being a 700 foot climb, how long, you know, roughly that's going to take
2: it Do you mean like inside of the climb?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Uh, I mean like, you don't have to worry about like surging way over threshold with this climb because it's pretty consistent.
2: I'm talking about like, if you do five laps, Mm -hmm. you may have to do whatever your 300 Watts. Yeah, mm -hmm, exactly. Five times.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was just clarifying that, that very thing. So like in this case, I feel like if you look at that and you figure it out, um, the, once you figure out roughly what sort of speed you would go up and then, you know, what sort of power that would take. You really want to look at what percentage that is of your threshold, because mm-hmm. once again, going up to elevation, and then you can look up and we have on the two per or episode, I think two episode two Oh eight, we talked about elevation and you can go onto forum.trainerroad.com and you can see that we have a chart in there we'll, we'll throw it into this episode too, so then you can mm-hmm. see it, but there are charts that kind of give you a rough ballpark idea of how much you'd have to reduce that power by. But the biggest thing that I feel like you have to pay attention to is you can't just ride by numbers on Correct. race day.
1: Yeah. And we're
0: deviating a bit from this, but like you have to, you have to have the numbers there because sometimes you need it to push you a little further, right? You
2: can train for the numbers and and you need to train racing for for
1: nationals. It's yeah. different, you don't stare at your power meter on the climb. Yeah, and you have you go to. With the front.
0: You have to go with feel. You know what and, I mean, and you have to know where what your body's doing.
1: And it is a slightly dangerous being nationals and a 700 foot climb. You're you're going to be tempted to go slightly over, uh-huh. and this is a course and an elevation that will really punish you. Like mm-hmm. you said, your race could be over. But there's a fine line between staying with whoever you're competing against, mm-hmm. going a little bit deeper than you can, because uh, like from what I can remember, you have a lot of time from that descent afterwards and then around. Oh yeah. That you'll feel good enough going into the climb the next time. Yeah. But if you really burned everything you had, the next time is gonna be rough.
0: Oh yeah. And and another sneaky thing about this is the fact that coming back, you actually have like a two percent drag, one percent drag for a long time. Mm-hmm. So that's going to like, you basically climb up, then you descend and you're moving, still moving far away from the finish line. And then you at the bottom of the descent, you're the furthest point away from the finish line. Then you just do like a 2%, 1% drag all the way back.
1: How far is that section? Do you know?
0: Um, yeah, I think that it's somewhere around a mile, mile and a half. So five minutes or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the, the point is. If you shouldn't train in Texas just by going to your climbs and yeah. trying that out instead, you should be looking at what sort of power you need to put out. And for then the working t- on that, you yeah, the time, so. the time for oh, yeah. the time yeah, time. So this one, I,
2: for me, if it's a, let's say it's a 10 minute climb, I would say, okay, I'm going to do hundred and two percent threshold repeats for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do those five times. Mm -hmm. The next time I'm going to do them, I'm going to raise it five Watts Mm -hmm. and I'm going to keep doing that until I can repeat that all five times. Yep, And
0: make that your race specific workout. And that could be on
2: the trainer. That could be on the trainer with some books underneath your tire. That could be out on the road on a flat section. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds like you have no probably
0: sustained climbs where you're at for 700 feet. So, but you might have sustained flats. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, you know, that makes it pretty easy too. and doing it on your mountain bike. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that there's something to be said for that. Doing it on the bike that you'll be doing, uh, you know, some, it just extra sure, levels position. of specificity mm-hmm. yeah. position.
2: Uh, you talked to a famous unnamed pro yes. about <laughs> racing at elevation. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: and we were, we were talking about this and he has a ton of experience and you've seen him all on TV uh, yep. many times. <laughs> uh, but he, and he just said like the number one rule with elevation is just don't cross the line. Yeah. That's you it. You cannot. Just don't, when you're talking about extreme elevation like that, yeah. you just don't cross the line
2: and you don't feel that you cross the line until, uh, it's too late. You go, oh no, yep. yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. what happened at Leadville. Cause you still have that. You still have your anaerobic work capacity. Mm-hmm. So that kicks in mm-hmm. and then that switches to aerobic really fast. And then you have, you're suddenly like. 5 times deeper than you would have been yes. um mm-hmm. at at a uh, sea level.
0: Yeah, exactly right. So that anaerobic work capacity that you have, that contribution there can really trick you and put you in a bad spot. Yeah, <laughs>
2: it's your it's not your friend.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Remember that it's not like your peak power is limited as much as your ability to recover from that is limited. Yeah, it takes five times longer to (laughs) come back
1: to feeling okay. And sometimes you just don't even get it back and you never get it back. If you go really in a race, you never get it back.
0: Yep. Yeah. So it's really, it's, it's tricky. I'm really curious to see how this race shakes out this year. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it'll be fun. uh, I feel like, so the last time that we had a national championship at elevation was in mammoth. And I feel like there was less understanding at that point, not just from, I, I certainly understand more, but less understanding in general about elevation and power and limits and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause at that point we are still coming off the era where guys, whether it was enhanced or not, were just able to attack nonstop at every tour stage, no matter what. Right. And that's just kind of what we thought we needed to race like, mm-hmm. but since, you know, then we've seen a totally different form of racing where people, you know, just stick to their limits and and try to go to those. So I'm curious to see if we all just kind of like, end up just like separating cleanly (laughs) and you know, from everyone and it just comes down to power to weight or what. So
2: what day is nationals?
0: July 28th, I believe is the race for me.
2: Yeah. You're still going, right?
0: Yeah, I'm going. Okay. When do you
2: leave? How long you be there?
0: I'm going to go the day before. Cool. So, um, it's, it's tricky because the, uh, and I'm actually, I think I'm going to have to drive out. I think, I don't know, unless I want to rent a car the whole time for a week and a half after that. I don't know. It's going to be tricky I'm staying up there for the Yeti tribe gathering the next weekend. And then Leadville is the one after that.
2: Oh, and give you the whole time. So
0: I think I might, I'd rather not stay there for over three weeks. I'd rather go there, stay there until the Yeti tribe gathering, then come home and then probably fly out with everybody for Leadville. I can host some podcasts. So yeah, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, exactly. (laughs) it will be fun. Um, so, but yeah, so, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. And I'm very curious to see, I mean, really it's just a battle of thresholds. And, and weight. that's like basically it, you know, and if your threshold's high enough and your weight's low enough, then you're going to do well. And if it's not, and the hard thing is you can't really fake that one with Mm -hmm. anaerobic, you know, work capacity or anything else or repeatability. Like a lot of people can in normal circumstances. It's not technical. It doesn't seem like it, but I'm weird for national
2: championship, not to make it technical. Like, yeah, you know, that's coming from me too.
0: Mammoth wasn't that technical until one descent that would like, uh, it could bite you, I guess, but it wasn't really. I don't know if you added a lot of speed, it could get tricky, but it wasn't outside of that. And I think that, I think this course will be probably similar from what I've heard from people. I've been talking to people that know the trails very well. It's not very technical. Mm-hmm. So there's a few tight and windy spots I hear, but that's about it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, uh, and I'm excited because hopefully they keep it in the same place this year. So then I can get some recon. Then next year I can actually go for a championship. It'll be cool. Soul's question. Recently did a hundred kilometer, 2000 meter of climbing non-technical mountain bike race. And the time was about four hours. I was happy with the time and I felt like I ate and drank enough. However, the last 15 kilometers was pure survival mode. I have no power meter nor a bike computer. So it's all purely by feel. My question is one, any way to tell whether the running out of gas and he says that in air quotes or she uh, feeling is nutrition or just gone too hard and haven't trained enough. It definitely wasn't hitting the wall as I have experienced that, does it just come down to experience? So that's like a a good first one to to cover. And then we'll just read through the next one and then we'll address them. Uh, next question is following from above when racing. I prefer to get to the finish, having left everything on the course, rather than getting to the finish line, feeling like I could have gone harder. I think everybody feels wants to feel that way. Right. It says mentally, I could have possibly told myself to push through, but subconsciously seemed to hold back a bit in fear of a total bonk. The human body is capable of amazing things, but can you mentally push through a total bonk, or has the available fuel just run out? And no matter how strong the mind patience is needed till the muscles get more fuel. I know you guys have talked about pacing before, but any insights or personal tips on getting optimum ride without the option of power, best bike split, (laughs) pre-riding the course, all those things, uh, would be helpful. Enjoy the podcast five stars all the way. So I guess the first point of any way to tell whether running out of gas, the running out of gas feeling is nutrition or that you've just gone too hard and haven't trained enough. I think they're all, you can't really separate those three.
2: No, we don't
0: know. Right. And we, yeah, yeah, we just simply don't know.
2: We can know based on if you told us like how much you ate. So if you said I had one gelled. Yesterday yeah. and then I rode the race for <laughs> <time> <laughs> food, three blocks and a half a
0: bottle. Yeah. 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 Um, Brandon, our product manager at Carson city off road. Yeah. yeah. That was a three and a half hour ride. Yeah. Half a bottle of water, half a bottle and three th- shot blocks.
2: That might've been enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> enough, enough but, so that's, that's yeah. how we could tell them. We'll get into a little bit more there. And then the, the drinking again, like. If you didn't drink anything, you probably were limited by that. But Mm -hmm. it's always a combination of the things, right? About training, nutrition, and hydration, unless you really nail your hydration and your nutrition, then you can think it is, uh, -hmm. training, but also that could just be pacing Mm -hmm. because, uh, like like you could have just trained more. You could have gone slower and finished slower at the beginning and finished the whole race faster, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is kind of confusing. So we don't really know without without oh, some a bike, of those nice bicycle hats. computer and yeah, <laughs> how yeah. much you ate yeah. pretty much a power
0: meter. We could tell, yep. yeah.
2: And then we knew how much you ate and drank Then we yep. could tell
0: the mm-hmm. one thing, any way to tell whether the running out of gas feeling is nutrition or just gone too hard, they're inherently related. So for, like, yeah. you know, if you're going hard, you need to feel yourself more and that part, you don't even necessarily need a power meter for. You can even do something like if you have a watch or if you just, you know, try to stay diligent on this, you could basically say like, if the course has aid stations, well, before every aid station, I want to eat two things, something like that. Mm -hmm. But just making sure that you're eating, you don't always have to be prompted by a number to eat Mm -hmm. and you can still fuel very well. And, and the point isn't just to like avoid the bunk, you know, you're trying to, if you're going hard, you need more fuel to perform better. Right. Yeah. So like there, there's, there's kind of like a a difference there and I feel like that's, I'm going to reiterate that in one other, in a slightly different light. The point of eating on the bike, isn't just to avoid the bonk. It's to improve your performance. Yes. I
1: feel like Nate does that so well, where you eat to go faster, Yes, right? You eat purely to increase your physical capabilities, not to avoid blowing not up Not to avoid blowing up because
0: that's not even, you don't even have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. If you're fueling to go faster.
1: Yeah. We, there was somewhere in the forum,
2: there was another podcast about, um, a sky nutritionist and mm-hmm. talking about fueling for the work performed. I, I mentioned this, I think last time or the time before where they're eating six grams of carbs per, uh, kilogram of body weight mm-hmm. on the easy stages, like the flat stages. Those are like super easy for the pros. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. like 180 watts average. Right? Yep. And that feeling for the work required at six grams. So, how yeah. many of us, when they, we go for a five hour easy ride, I hear it all the time people are like, oh, I I came in, I ate avocado and salmon the night before, skipped <laughs> breakfast, and did it on water bottles, right? Yeah. And yes. then they get thrashed. <laughs> yeah. They didn't feel day. very good at the end. I know. So, <laughs> the, so for them, can... the work required is six grams at that level, mm-hmm. at, at pretty much doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy.
0: And something for you to think about too, is the fact that like, you may even be able to complete the ride and you may be able to get through the ride pretty well, but that doesn't mean that you are going to get any benefit from that ride. Because if you don't feel your body well enough, it's going to be in such a state that you can't even absorb.
2: Yeah. So we'll give you a second, but people are thinking that they're trying to get better fat adaption mm -hmm. and I've talked about this a lot. I I like just raising your whole FTP. So the percentage of where you burn fat just goes up higher. Exactly. Um, and unless you're really at the pointy end, you're Mm -hmm. at six Watts per kilo, Mm -hmm. you can't get to seven without
3: drugs.
2: (laughs) Then you're like, okay.
1: And we're doing these really long stages. Let's try to play with this right here.
2: Right.
0: I think,
1: yeah, that's an important takeaway. If you're, if you have a lot of room on the threshold table, Raise your threshold. That will raise your fat adaption much quicker than yeah. doing fasted rides. You'll use like more fat. <laughs> 150. If you raise your FTP from
2: 250 to 280, the amount of fat that you're going to burn when you're doing an, an aerobic ride at 180 watts mm-hmm. is going to be much higher when mm-hmm. you raise your FTP. Correct. Even higher, so much than if you were completely fat adapted. I'm not For sure the math on that, but there is a there is a section. I know which one's easier. Yeah. Raising yeah. your, raising yeah. your thresholds way easier, way easier yeah. than becoming fat adapted. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: exactly. There's like a, an established way to go through it, And you actually saw that when you were testing that you actually utilize, you are, you are not keto. You do not try to be keto, yeah. right? <laughs> That's like not your goal. I
1: saw your bowl of <laughs> breakfast this morning. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh,
0: <laughs> shredded wheat and berries, Three types of berries. Decidedly yeah. not keto, yet you still utilize a lot of ketones.
1: Yeah. So this is,
2: this is kind of interesting. Um, from you biome, they have that
3: Mm-hmm. gut bacteria, etc. right? This time <laughs> test. and
2: this is, this is interesting, not conclusive, mm-hmm. but they measured, uh, how much bacteria I have in my stomach versus mm-hmm. other populations. And I have more bacteria that process carbs than other people are like 1.5 times, which is interesting, huh. but also, uh, that's from like everyone, vegans, even people are on high carb diets, yep. um, for bacteria that process ketones and lipids mm-hmm. like fat, I was also, I think 1.2 times more then, uh, fat, then low carb diets and paleo people, which I thought was, was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um,
0: Super interesting.
2: I don't know why that happens. I think it's probably a lot about the variety that I eat and the amount that I eat Yeah, and and the training. I think the training also influences gut bacteria. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think it's just a a misconception conception perhaps so that, you know, people think that, you know, if you just bring in a ton of carbohydrate that that's all your body uses and it never utilizes fat.
1: Right. And,
0: and it's not the fact.
1: And Nate eats healthy carbohydrates, mm-hmm. um, and a, v- a huge variety. Like you don't eat the same thing all the time and yeah. your body responds to that. Right? Mm-hmm. Like it's from a very basic standpoint. If you eat a lot of healthy food, your gut bacteria will flourish. So, oh, yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about the amount of carbs. We've talked this before, but I have a
2: question. If anyone knows the answer of this, please go to forum.trainer.com put it in there and at me at me, um, that's so what I've read in research is that you can process a human body can process 90 grams of carbs per hour. That's
0: like the general rule of thumb. We've all heard Mm in a
2: two to one ratio of glucose to fructose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The cycling tips article about, uh, Mitchelton Scott. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, they saw all of their riders eating between 80 to 110 grams an hour of carbs on the bike, lot, which yeah. is crazy, right? Like yeah. people always think that I'm crazy for eating that much. Um, I'm like way bigger than most of those people. Maybe, yeah. maybe every single, no, not every single one of them. There's a, a couple people in the pro tour that are my size. Yeah. yeah. But a um, couple, yeah. Like <laughs> a couple, right. Um, and they're eating so, so much. Right. So my question is, is that processing 90 grams of carbs the same for the whole population? Cause that does not make sense to me. I, right. People have different sized livers. Um, people are do different amounts of activity. Like, can you train yourself to go up to one hundred and twenty?
0: Yeah, it doesn't make sense that ninety grams would be the limit for everybody across the board all the time. Because yeah, and and, and you know you have more. You have more muscles doing more work as a result. Mm -hmm. They might demand
1: more. You have a bigger GI
0: tract, yeah. right? Like from a
1: very basic standpoint
0: on the other side of things, you know, you're smaller, you, or you do less work. So you Mm -hmm. just don't have that demand on your system. I I don't know. I mean, it's it's something you,
2: you think that the people with higher thresholds then that are bigger would have be at a really big disadvantage. If everyone gets fuel at the same rate, but the people with the bigger thresholds who are, have a bigger aerodynamic drag too, have to take more of that, have mm-hmm. to burn more of that to go the same speed. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what I think someone should do is a PhD or a master's thesis on this. Yeah. I want you to take like six foot seven collegiate swimmers. Like think of like Michael Phelps, those mm-hmm. big guys doing all this training and eating a ton. Michael mm-hmm. Phelps famously eating 10,000 calories a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Test this against five foot seven. Male non athletic. Yes. Just keep a like a general population, smaller person, and then elite athletes. Mm-hmm. And do they process carbs at the same rate? Mm-hmm. I really want to know that answer. Yeah, it'd be um, fascinating. Especially with a population I say collegiate swimmers because I don't think they're um maybe as uh crazy brained as some uh <laughs> athletes like yeah. cyclists where yeah. they're uh doing all, you know, something very special, just uh-huh. eating like a mm-hmm. variety and lots and lots of food. Cause they're swimming six hours a day. Exactly. As you've um, seen
0: with Michael Phelps, he ate a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if someone, and if there's an answer to this that has already been done, please let me know, um, mm-hmm. because this is, I'm so curious and my gut, my gut, my gut says <laughs> it's, it's going to be different for body size and it's going to mm-hmm. be trainable.
0: Yeah, I think it, yeah, it would make sense. Right. It makes sense that it's, trainable. it'd be bro science, right? it's bro would, science for now, but it might be real science <laughs> <yeah>.
2: <laughs> later uh, on. And there's one more question here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like one of the things that she talks about is the fact that, so uh, when racing, I prefer to give it all, but then she's talking about, you know, being able to mentally push through and basically asks the question, like, right here, the human body is capable of amazing things, but can you mentally push through a total bonk as The available fuel just run out. And no matter how strong the mind patience is needed till the muscles get more fuel, yep. I think that, and, and I think you put this down here in the, in the notes, Nate, but you are always lit governed by some degree to your brain.
2: Yeah. That's the current theory right now is that you are always governed by your brain and mm-hmm. there's always extra and they've tried to push people all the way where they bonk and they put electrodes on their muscles and they fire and the muscles still contract mm-hmm. there's still glycogen in there. It still happens.
0: Yeah. You can't like, uh, we always talk about the fact that like I was completely depleted of glycogen, but we're not completely depleted. Yeah. yeah your body's not going to uh, kill you yeah, You're exactly. mentally weak. Yeah. And <laughs> you and, and, can always push more. Yeah. Or, and, and your muscles might be in quite a state, right? Like yeah. mm-hmm. you may have pushed them extremely deeply and every signal is going to your brain or your brain might just be saying I've had enough. And we've all felt this before because we've been in that situation. Then something has happened. Like, I don't know, you're completely wrecked on a ride. You're totally bonked. And then a dog comes out and chases you and you're like, wow, I never knew I could hit 1700 Watts, (laughs) right? Like, and you were in a bad way prior to that. Or, you know, the finish line gets close enough so that you can really taste it and you really go for it. It happens like you can still push yourself past it. But I will say if you are running yourself low on fuel, your ability to resurrect, so to speak, is Mm -hmm. limited in terms of its duration. Like eventually Mm -hmm. you'll feel that again. Mm -hmm. And and I think that, yeah. So if we're talking about this, can you push through it? Yes, but temporarily, and some people are better at pushing through. And I think the higher the intensity, the shorter it will last, the lower the intensity, Mm -hmm. you can kind of keep going. And you'll see that with like ultra distance runners that can just like run for days on end basically, Mm -hmm. because if the pace is low enough, but I think you're always kind of governed by it, you know? By your brain. Oh yeah. It's yep. always in play no matter what <clears throat> Matt's question. I'm a cat Four, recent upgrade. Congratulations, Matt. He d- knocked out the, the 10, cat ten five races. races. That's that's awesome. You're still alive. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, he says I've noticed in pretty much all the local road races, cat four to five, the field blasts up the Hills in the first third of the race, then generally settles down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yep, <laughs> Welcome some. to bike. <laughs> yeah, <here. laughs> yeah. so, especially cat four to five racing, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's especially obvious on courses with multiple laps where we might average 10 to 15% more power up a four minute climb on the first lap than the last one or two. Because of this pattern, most of the race is done in an overly stressed state relative to say even lap pacing. So my question is: Is there a benefit to mimicking this pattern in training? In other words, loading up the efforts early in the workout, particularly if you know the race will unfold in that way. So this one kind of ties back in many respects to what we were talking about with the seven hundred foot climb. Should yep. I just do that same thing?
2: Yeah. Um, so no, it's yeah. the short term <laughs> and there's long term, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you're maybe training specifically for this race and this is your Olympics. You might try to mimic that pattern and so that you can feel it and and do that. But especially as a four or five, I'm guessing you're, you have plenty of headroom for FTP (laughs) that, um, what you need to do is it's much better. And lots of, lots of numbers on this, including our own to do those intervals repeated repeated intervals at that same level or close to it. Um, and just do lots of those and then have those intervals be more or longer, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. more wattage, more intervals or longer intervals and keep doing that. That will raise your overall FTP. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, you know, you'll be the one pushing it for every lap Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: and just dropping people the whole time. Yep. So I, I would not try to be. 10 to 15 and then do the rest from lower.
0: Yeah. I don't think that that's beneficial for training either. I think that there's the opposite. There's benefit to being able to perform high when it goes on later or later on. Yeah. Like s- you don't
1: win the race on the first climb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Does this happen? You lose it though. Does this yeah. happen in the P one twos also? Yeah. And <clears throat> we were saying that really it's every, every race is hard unless you're the one pushing the pace. Yeah. So there's a couple guys where the race is easy yeah. and for everybody, the race is hard at the beginning and yeah. it's always hard at the beginning. And
2: yeah. the reason it even happens in the upper levels is you can see on the, uh, the video, Pete's a big boy. Mm-hmm. They're trying to drop you. Yeah, You're exactly sure. the person they want to drop. At the very beginning, all yeah. the light climbers, so that later on in
1: the race you don't beat them. They mm-hmm. know they can't sustain it for the whole race. It, um, yep. Right? Yep. Yeah, for sure. And so, that's it's everybody's tactic. If you can thin the field on the first lap, man, like it's it's easy, right? Oh yeah, yeah.
2: Your 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 chances just went up. All the teammates went away. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the people that could counter your strengths are now gone. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's amazing. The other thing we want to say is how often in a race does this happen? Where, um, it, you get dropped and it slows down like 15 seconds
0: later. Yep. Oh yeah, exactly. Always. Right. Yeah. <laughs> every time <laughs> it's always how it works because we cut the cord yeah. one time before it. Right. Yeah. I, I think that, so coming from mountain biking, this is every single race starts hard, right? Yeah, even harder so yes, Even harder because we're yeah. starting or we're fighting for position and mm-hmm. it's something that's extremely important for to, to do. Right. Yeah. But that said, it doesn't take a whole lot of specific training to be able to start a race hard. And like, I feel like the main thing that you need to be concerned with is how hard are those efforts relative to your threshold? Mm -hmm. And if it is way over your threshold, then you're not going to last. That's just how it goes. If you have a higher threshold, then it's going to be within reason. Cause it's not going to be that tough, right?
2: Exactly. How important is warm up
0: uh, huge, right? I mean, if you're not warmed up, then you're not ready to go right in the beginning and your RPE will just go. You're still capable of the work, but your RPE, it just goes through the roof and it makes it difficult to be able to hold on. Mm-hmm. I was looking at Keegan's race file from Carson city off road. They basically started out. Pretty reasonable, sweet spot ish for Keegan, which means probably everybody else was dying. Yeah, it's uh, hard as like. Yeah, <laughs> but Keegan, mm-hmm. Russell Finsterwald, and those guys were just hanging in. And then once they got to the chip seal section uh, with that course, basically once they got to the first steep part, right, he hammered it, and they went really hard. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he really didn't go that hard for the rest of the race. For him, uh, mm-hmm. it was all within his threshold. Basically, thereafter, right, You're just thinning it out. Exactly, they're just thinning it out, and you have to. And the thing is. If you're warmed up, then you are going to adequately warmed up. Then you're going to perform to your ability levels. Mm -hmm. And if you can't hang with a group, that just means that you're not fast enough yet. Yeah.
1: Or fit enough or however it works.
0: It's hard music to face, right? Or like, you know, or as cat three memes always shows like hard pills to swallow. Right. But the thing is that that's, it's, it's cool because then you can identify, okay, that's just what I need to do. And it
1: happens over and over. Every time you upgrade, every time you go to a new uh, bigger caliber race. Mm -hmm. It always, it always kind of resettles into this same, same programmatic start.
0: And once you have this down, you can actually kind of flip things on their head Mm -hmm. because you do this at a local road race that we have. That's kind of like flat and rolling until it gets to more, some more severe climbing Yeah, about a third of the way into the race or so. Yeah. And when you start, you start this race a lot of the time and you just go from the gun really hard because you know that later on, if you get caught on those climbs or, you know, you might get caught midway through the climbs, but you can go a little bit easier through there. And then hopefully not, you know, if you stick with the field, then they just hammer it on the climbs. You'll be spat out the back.
1: Right. And for me, the biggest thing is I'm sure it's like this. If, if everybody's rested going into a climb and they go on up a four minute climb as hard as they can, there's no chance I can stay. Right. But if everybody's tired, I don't go that much slower when I'm tired probably Mm -hmm. the same, right? I I can only go so hard (laughs) up a climb. So if everybody's tired and I kind of bring down their ceiling for a four minute climb, then I only lose 20 seconds over the four minute climb and then that's doable to catch back on. But if everybody's fresh and everybody hits it, I lose a minute on a four minute climb and I'm not bringing that back. So,
0: right. So you can kind of use it to your strength. You know, you can look at that sort of a, it's just a different strategy.
1: The other thing is to side climb this,
2: um, Mm -hmm. the videos on that. Side climbing, I think I did it wrong because I side climbed the wrong spot. Uh, Yeah, but Uh, (laughs) do it wrong is just, especially at the beginning, is you don't, you can't side climb back so far that there's gaps that open that you Mm -hmm. can't get back on. Right. Um, But also get to the so side climbing is when you start at the front and then as everyone's going up, you're getting a little less power, so you're drifting back, and you can on
1: bigger races you can save 20 seconds on a four minute climb. Oh Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the dream, right? If I get side climb, (laughs) if there's a hundred guys in every race and I could side climb 60 seconds of every four minute climb, yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so some, a coping mechanism for you, if you've just realized the fact, so you just moved up, right. And you might be racing cat fours now that you weren't racing prior something like that, a cope, and you've realized the fact that your threshold just isn't high enough. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why the beginning of these races are, are prohibitively hard. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, just remember the one thing and we said this before already, but it hurts for everybody. And maybe not the first guy, maybe not the first two, something like that. But even for them, it still hurts them, Mm -hmm. but it hurts for everybody. And I feel like, like you said, Nate, like we always give up. It feels like just like one attack too early or one effort too early. And if you can just somehow make yourself hold on through that one extra one. And if you keep doing that in races, plus you're training, well, then that this sort of scenario is short lived, you're going to find yourself being the one that actually decides the pace and not too long. So, in short, just
2: do your intervals. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Get faster. <laughs> uh, that wouldn't have been very helpful if we just yep. told him to get faster, huh? Uh, Evan says, I see myself as a punchy <laughs> rider that likes to attack over and over again in races. I'd like to win, but I've neglected my actual sprint and can't seem to get the hang of pulling up on the bars. I'm pulling up on the handlebars as I push down on the pedal, right hand up, right foot down, and vice versa, but feels like I'm just not strong enough. The bar doesn't come up and the bike doesn't want to sway. I'm briefly hitting over 1,000 watts, but I end up on the wrong. Side of a leaning bike. I we've seen this before. Yeah. He says it very quickly gets awkward and I have to stop to adjust or lower my power. Uh, I've tried creating a circle of power to no luck. Have you got any other tips or on sprint technique? And are there any upper body exercises I could try? So before we go into this, I just, uh, so we talked a lot about this, Pete and I went out and we did sprints. Uh, we did research. So might research. say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we did sprints. I, I hit some good PRs. Did you? Yeah. I, I, you hit? Um, so it wasn't peak power. Uh, the peak power was only 1300 something, but I ended up holding a thousand Watts for almost 20 seconds, which is pretty good. Yeah. So that's, that's good for me. Um, <clears throat> but I want us to think of a golf swing Yeah. and, and when he says I have to stop and adjust. If you've ever seen Charles Barkley, Charles Barkley's golf swing, that's what I'm thinking of in my mind. <laughs> if you haven't yes. seen it, you should look it up uh, right now on YouTube. Yes. Zucker, can you put a
2: gift of Charles Barkley's, uh, yes, swing in the, uh, that would be fantastic. Bus.
0: So he, he comes down and he over analyzes so much and he's thinking of all the things he needs to do on the fly. On, Every single, like, you know, millimeter of movement along the way that he goes through and he stops and he hesitates and he gets stuck and then he kind of goes back and then he comes through again. Yes. It's it's far from an elegant golf swing. Yes. But we're going to kind of use that as like an analogy.
1: Yeah. And it's funny that that's what we settled on because we're talking with Nate because Nate can sprint, but it's not as good as it could be
0: true. There's room for, <laughs> there's room for improvement.
2: I was going to say like, I can't sprint. I it more like, a cause my sprint is just barely more than my seated sprint, my yeah. up, my standing sprint. I think I go faster as a seated sprint because <laughs> of aerodynamics.
0: Yeah. So th- that right. shows that there's low hanging fruit yeah. in the standing sprint side of things for yeah. Nate, yes. right? Especially because Nate's Nate's a, Nate has a high threshold, big person. So he should be able to put out a lot more wattage yeah, than somebody totally. like me. Right. What's yeah. your
1: max wattage currently?
0: Mm,
2: I think all time. Yeah. 1310. I think recently it's like 1250 mm-hmm. all right, so
1: We got to change that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it I, so, I want to be yeah. like
2: 1500 for five seconds and win some races. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. But so yeah, let's we get talk- into it.
1: People. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it's crazy because. So we I will acknowledge those, so the last time we talked about this, this on the podcast we it got was, it backwards. We well, it was kind of on the fly. Yeah. and we kind of mentioned half of the important part mm-hmm. now that we really did the research.
0: <laughs> research <laughs> <laughs> air quotes on the research.
1: Uh so for me what was really interesting is uh when we were talking about the pulling up um you and I both talked a lot about how there's a lot of moving targets in a sprint, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So over the course of a 10 second or a 20 second sprint, your technique changes from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. It also changes based on RPMs Mm -hmm. and it also changes in the metronome swing of the bike.
0: Yeah. And the interesting thing though is that all these changes adhere to common principle. Yes. So like it's not like you reach a certain point in your sprint and you're like, I need to change. I am mm-hmm. now at this mm-hmm. cadence or this speed and I need to change my technique. Instead, you're adhering to a principle latching on to you know the, the proper balance or feeling. Right. And then that you just change when you latch onto that and hold on to it, you change how you perform.
1: Right. So the best part for you, Nate, is there's Actionable takeaway as we have for you.
0: Yes. Oh good. Yes. <laughs> so um, first and things for everyone. <laughs> I think yeah. I
1: sprint the same way as
2: like. Oh, I think ninety yeah, percent sure. of riders in a totally. road sprint like me. And then there's the people that actually sprint right.
0: Yes. So uh, first things first. Uh, basically, we both found you know you start your sprint around one or two o'clock, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um. And and whichever leg just over th-
1: the top for people who we're yep. looking at a clock face.
0: Yes. <laughs> and 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 it's whichever leg you want, whichever mm-hmm. leg you feel like you want to start with because. Mm-hmm. It'll be different for different people. Yes. But, uh, when you start and when I say start, I mean, you really put a lot of force into the pedals and it's
1: best to start your sprint at that time. Don't don't lead into it. Kind of hit or turn it on at one o'clock. Yes. Don't don't lead over the top.
0: Yep. And at that point, when you press, let's just say that you start with your left leg Mm -hmm. and at that point you end up adding a lot of tension and torque onto your handlebars on the left side as well. Yes. Left and left. Yes. Right.
2: Tension, which way up, right? Yeah. Uh, You pull, let's pulling, you're pulling,
0: we're pulling. That's the important word is pull. So it's a bit of up and it's a bit of back. Mm -hmm. So I think I was always pulling on the other handlebar. That might be why we were messing up.
1: Well, so there's, this is the kind of interesting thing that, so this is what I think is almost more important than the pull. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's why I said this last time. So you're, while you're pulling up on your left hand for, so we're all, we're this is a. Quarter second of elapsed time that you're doing this, which is very important to realize.
0: We're living in slow mo world. We're living
1: in slow mo Mm -hmm. world. So, as you start that one or two o'clock downward sprint with Mm -hmm. your leg, Mm -hmm. you effectively pull back and up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or you hold your handlebar in place with tension. Yes. um, Into your sprinting leg. Uh But almost just as important, you're doing, you have almost uh, like a rock solid base on your right hand keeping your balance in place uh-huh. and so much tension. So what I, the, I did some more this morning, cause why not, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but my chest and arms are tired right yeah. now in the podcast from the tension of holding the bike in the right place Mm -hmm. and dealing with the pull, because you, if you pull too hard, your bike doesn't stay. So you're actually pulling and keeping your bike in place at the same time. Mm -hmm. I've never felt upper body (laughs) being tired sprinting, not once.
0: Right? Yeah. Yesterday I was like, uh, I I was genuinely afterward. It hurt. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: So, Mm -hmm. and two, I, I thinking about it, left foot left foot, one o'clock, start the sprint. I'm pulling up on my right handlebar. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pro- backwards. That's probably
0: that's backwards. why for you, we've noticed that like, and this is common. I bet a lot of people feel this. Yeah. Your bike doesn't feel like it's moving that much and it actually doesn't move much and your I body move. moves more mm-hmm. than yeah. the bike. How right? many
2: videos do we have where the, the, the racer is going back and forth, but yep. the bikes right there. Yep. Mm-hmm. I Do you happens. think that's the problem is we're doing it opposite? Yeah. It very yeah.
0: well could be, and, and, and that, the, here's the interesting thing. So when we're talking about the changeover, remember that once your left, we're talking about the left leg, once that left leg gets to the bottom of the point where adding much downward force on it, doesn't really do much good. Basically the bottom of the pedal stroke, your other side is already basically to 12 1 o'clock and it's ready to the same things ready to happen on the other side. Yeah.
1: And so in that quarter of a second, you go from pulling to holding the other arm as tension, so kind of the pulling goes to the other right hand, mm-hmm. and this is so fast. So mm-hmm. that's what's that's what's kind of mind-blowing, is your body has to swap back and forth really quickly, and it's not a hard swap, it's a transition of pulling and tension Yep. to pulling and tension.
0: It's a constant system of like faders. Or you could imagine like you have a string yeah. with like a, bol- like a, a wheel on it. And you're basically like rolling it from mm-hmm. side to side to side. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like that's like, it's not as much like a, this arm off this arm on mm-hmm. it's just a smooth interplay between the two. So if you
2: look at static pictures, the pros, it looks like sometimes they're pulling up opposite. Like,
0: it looks like that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But is yeah. that
1: not what's happening? Mm-mm. Yeah, and pictures don't translate. That's the hard thing. Yeah, and I think that's what we realized in our big talk about this. Um mm-hmm. we really need slow-mo video,
0: which I think that we are absolutely capable of <laughs> and we're going to do that. Uh we're going to actually film Pete and Nate uh, sprinting in the same position, I mean the same area, right? Same road, and then we'll have basically a breakdown and analysis of what you should do. In a good, or to do a proper sprint, mm-hmm. the, the, the one thing that occurred to me, like an epiphany moment is when we're talking about how hard you pull on the bars or how hard you press or how much you lean your bike. Cause that question has been submitted many times. Like how I see some people really lean their bike. Others don't. And really what it is, is it's all a function of you just trying to basically the more force you put into one leg. You have to act. You have to counter that with your upper body to keep the bike in control. Because if you were riding with no hands and standing up, then you just slam down as hard as you could. You just fall over, right? So really, that's what you're doing is you're just creating that balance between the upper and lower body. And that's what determines it. Sometimes you'll see people lean the bike a little bit more. And a lot of the time that's to gain a little bit of leg speed, because mm-hmm. that might give them a little bit more leverage to get things moving quickly. Sometimes you'll see riders lean it less because they're really trying to keep that force and maybe pushed into forward momentum.
1: Exactly. And, and I think one thing is it feels different at slower RPMs. Mm-hmm. So if you start your sprint at 60 or 70 RPMs, it's really amplified those couple feelings of yes. pulling and holding. And you don't even have to press that hard. And you don't press that hard. Mm-hmm. And But as you continue your sprint, The pulling gets less, the rocking gets a little less. Everything Mm kind of tightens up, but you don't lose any tension. The tension almost increases over the course of your sprint.
0: I even feel like a lot of tension, like in my neck, in my head. Yeah, Yeah, my neck hurts after I sprint. Yes, (laughs) because there's so much tension through the whole body. So
1: that's that circle of power. If you, it should be so much tension. It's the same as if you were going to go grab a 400-pound deadlift how much tension would you have on your body to try to lift up the bar?
0: Like every part of you, you every jaw, single everything, you know, <laughs> that's
1: the same feeling you should be going for. It's
0: yeah. crazy. So, <laughs> and, and, and I, I think that the, like one, Uh, to recap just a few like big picture thoughts that I had is number one, your main goal should be to go faster. That's Mm -hmm. the point of a sprint, right? You just want to go faster and look good. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, Yeah. of course. Um, and, and it just so happens that the the best way to make yourself go faster also looks cool. Like Mm -hmm. a sprint looks cool. I think everybody agrees, right? It looks cool. A properly done sprint. So uh, your goal is to go as fast as you can. And the way to get there is to put a lot of force into your pedals and also turn them over quickly. Mm -hmm. And that put a lot of force into your pedals part, I feel like is where things start to come unhinged for a lot of folks, just because once again, it's something isn't balanced. The the torque from their upper body to the torques of to their lower body isn't balanced.
1: Correct, exactly. And that's where it falls apart. And everybody can pedal really hard. Mm-hmm. If you're a if you're an experienced cyclist, you can pedal really hard. And I think that's what that's why this gets turned on its head so much, is because every ounce of power you put into your pedals, you have to hold your bike just as hard, steady in tension.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: What about pulling up? How much are you guys doing that?
0: Um, so I, I noticed that I pull up, I would say more if I am more upright. Yes. If I'm like, you know, postured up on the bike for some reason or another, I tend to pull up more if I'm lower on the bike, trying to be more aerodynamic. Cause that's the other p- uh, goal of a sprint, but mm-hmm. that's stuff you worry about after you kind of get the sprint down. I feel like I pull back more.
1: Yes, and at the beginning of the sprint, it's slightly more. Mm -hmm. If you think of like a kilo track starter, Mm -hmm. as their upper body is like pulling as hard as they can. They're very upright. Very upright, because Mm -hmm. you can pull a lot up, Mm -hmm. and then as soon as they are into their sprint, you're pulling up less and less, like the curve goes down of Mm -hmm. your pull. Mm -hmm. So it starts, but it's still, it's so little, it's such a short period of time Mm -hmm. that I think that's why it's more important to think about your other hand and the full picture of pulling up and holding it there. Yes. Um, and that's why we were talking about on the other podcast that feel you, you're not pulling on the opposing bar, but you're holding it mm-hmm. with your opposing hand.
0: Yeah.
2: I pick up my rear wheel when I sprint because I pull up so much. Mm-hmm. Am I not like switching over to the
1: down? Like on the other leg
2: fast enough, uh, could be, I don't know. I'm too far weighted
1: forward. I think too far weighted forward. That's one where make sure you're everybody's different and everybody bike, everybody's bikes different, but try creeping back just slightly and you can sight using your front of your stem and where your head is.
0: Yep. i found that it's also when I'm not timing things very well, or I don't have the tension very good, I'll you know, be pulling up on the pedals and then it'll kind of hop up in that situation. But if I'm really focusing on technique, which that's a really good argument for doing a couple sprints before you go into a criterium, not to see how much power you have for the day, but instead just to make sure that you have the technique down. Really and,
1: and for sure, start light, the same as your golf swing. You don't, yeah. you don't start hitting it as hard as you possibly can. Oh, you yeah. don't go for, for a full distance swing right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Do some easy sprints, do some 300 watt sprints and 500 watt sprints, and then warm everything up. And as soon as you lose it, you're, you can't fight it back
0: and get it again. Right. I'm going to use the example of the golf swing again. <laughs> if you've ever had a golf coach, Who's sat down or a swing coach, and he's like sat down with you at the range and he's been going through everything. A bad coach basically says, You need to do this, you need to have your hands open a door handle and they need to rotate all the way through the door handle operation. As you come through the club head has to strike at a specific degree. It can't be too low, too high. And then you have to make sure that you're powering through your hips. You have to make sure that your head stays in the same place. Then you have to make sure that you're keeping your head down and then you have to follow through. It's like, it'll overwhelm you and you'll Charles Barkley, this, the swing, right? You'll end up just stuttering your way through it. Instead, what a really good golf coach does is he puts you in the right spot. And then he says, swing. Mm -hmm. And you swing. And then after that, he says, how do you feel? And then you basically, you relay what you felt to him. And then he says what he saw. And then you go back through and he might give you one thing to work on.
1: one thing to work on.
0: Right. So we just gave you all a lot of stuff to work on. And it's hard to comprehend in a just audible form. Uh, The video should help a lot with this. But it's much more about basically. And then, uh, So the epiphany I had when I was golfing a lot was that I got to the point where I was coming down and I felt like a good swing. Like I could feel something clicked mm-hmm. and it took a long time of a, of a basically me trying to figure out what was going on. And it eventually took me letting go of trying to figure everything out instead just swinging a club. Mm-hmm. And then with time I got to the point where I was like, okay, I see what that feeling is. And then I could introduce little technique tips. But if it took me away from that feeling, I had to kind of take a step back, you know, Mm -hmm. and sprinting. Definitely. There's like a a feeling of balance and tension that you get from a sprint where you're like, ah, this is it. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, what you want to hold on to. It doesn't mean that you're going to be like a crazy fast sprinter. No, that depends on your physiology, really. But But, you can
1: be efficient and do what you're supposed to do. And a good, a solid sprint is so much more effective than a not solid sprint, but, uh, like we were saying do baby steps mm-hmm. pick one thing and start so easy yeah um yeah It'll help i have two more questions Please. yes okay what if
2: uh oftentimes too i'll pick up my front wheel I think that's not uncommon. Yeah. What do you do if you pick up the front and wheel?
0: that can cause that can be really dangerous. I'd say it's that's all dangerous. E- yeah. That's even <laughs> that's even more dangerous than the rear wheel pickup because mm-hmm. a lot of the time when you pick up your front wheel, there's uneven tension, so you put your wheel down and it'll be crooked and mm-hmm. it can cause that would be the worst. <laughs> if I just sprint myself into a crash, <laughs> uh, can you imagine so by like, myself? Like a yeah, slow yeah, speed yeah. sprint and you like get ready for it and you're like going like three miles uh, uh, an hour and you just yeah. fall over. Yeah. yeah. It'd be uh, I too think far back. pull your
1: pull less up and more think of pulling it into yourself like i we talked about it just briefly but if you're if you're bending your body so on your bike your legs you're kind of veed mm-hmm. and so you're pulling everything into your core
0: mm-hmm. into your rather than hips, straight basically. up, rather than
1: straight up yep. because you want an anchored position to pedal into or yep. to pedal from i guess yep. yeah
0: if you think about it like a like an angle you're mm-hmm. really going for the the corner of that angle that's where you really want to have and this. so force pulling back some is
1: up for sure because you have mm-hmm. to counteract the force that your pedal is going down with, yeah. but a lot, most of it is that tension and pulling back into yourself and keeping everything steady because if you have a ton of pressure and tension on the bike, there's no way anything is going to come off the mm. ground. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, probably, I'm probably putting my hands too low on my
2: bars. Like you what I mean, like yeah, way yeah. down. Far. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that
0: makes it so that you're at more up. of a severe angle and you have to pull up even yeah. more. If you look at a lot of the best sprinters, their hands are not on the drops. Their hands are not at the bottom of the drops. It's kind of their hands are actually kind of high on the drops mm-hmm. and they're like tucked underneath.
1: Because you're pulling more into yourself Mm -hmm. than up. Mm -hmm. Um, One last thing is elbows further out than you. As a cyclist, we're so trained to just be super narrow, and that's the smooth way to pedal and everything. Mm -hmm. But as a sprinter, pop your elbows out. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, can can you talk about the circle of power for those who haven't heard
1: it before? Yeah. Um, I think the most interesting way to think about it is that's that tension we're trying to find. Mm -hmm. So if you are, if you have your hands up closer to your hoods, Mm -hmm. right, not on the bottom and you're pulling your bars kind of apart, Mm -hmm. um, but it's really, it's like back, apart and back and then. Like engaging everything between your hands.
0: Imagine that there's a loop between your handlebars, your hands, and it goes around your arms up into the back of your neck, back of your neck, your ears, (laughs) yes, and then back down to your hands. Mm -hmm. And it's that it's that that ring right there.
1: Yeah, and my jaw hurts after sprinting sometimes, right? Yeah, straight up. So yesterday hurt. As you kind of you want to be so have so much torsion on your upper body that nothing can move. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you can pull, then you can kind of initiate the sprint, but mm-hmm. you want to have so much tension holding your upper body exactly in place. And yeah, everything should feel engaged like your mm-hmm. forearms, your biceps, your chest, your back, um, everything. and everything. And you can even practice just that feeling. You don't have to sprint with that. Um, because it's something that like we're trying to give you 50 things to do at once. Get the circle of power down, and get that first initial hard pedal stroke down. Mm-hmm. And then, like we were saying for you, let's get three hard pedal strokes in without losing the circle of power and without like mm-hmm. mistiming, because we don't want to teach you any bad habits. Um, but the circle of power, I would say, it's it's all about as much tension as you can put in your upper body mm-hmm. with pulling your handlebars apart and being with your hands in the right position.
0: Yep.
2: Last problem that I think uh, at least Tucker and I have, we run out of like, it feels like we run out of resistance. Mm -hmm. So it feels like we want to shift. Yep. Um, Like the very beginning feels good and then it's like all noodly. What? Do you shift, not shift? What, 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 what's goes on
0: before the shifting part of things? If anybody wants to feel what it's like, if, if you're like listening to this, you're like, I'm a great sprinter. This is all silly stuff. It's just natural mm-hmm. uh, sprint, Good for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice job. Good for you. Number one. And then number two, sprint at a really high cadence and you'll start to feel everything fall apart with like mm-hmm. low resistance. And then you'll know what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's, it's really hard to keep the tension because once again, we're trying to balance the tension between your legs and your upper body. Right? So if there's not a lot and of tension provided by the fact that you don't have a lot of resistance, you don't need as much tension in the upper body. And if you're carrying more in the upper body, then it just gets really awkward.
1: And you're passing the tension back and forth faster at a faster RPM.
0: So it's harder to, so keep keep it's harder it. to
1: keep taps. on. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, we do you shift. Absolutely. I think that shifting is something that you should learn after you start to feel the technique right. And you feel the right feeling and you start to feel balanced on the bike and you start to feel like you're not, you know, unstable at that point, then you work on shifting because shifting throws off everybody. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're Mark Cavendish, the, the best sprinters in the world, shifting still throws him off. Mm-hmm. Like it just, that, that's what happens. Yeah. It's the enemy of a sprint in some regards but it still lets you go faster. So I guess it, you know, it falls yeah. in line. And
1: so some of those guys, they're already sprinting in their fifty three eleven, right? Like tour sprinters, they're yeah. already going 40 miles an hour. So you're in your 11. So they don't have to worry. It's all about winding it up, mm-hmm. but us regular Joes, yeah. you start at 25 miles an hour and mm-hmm. then you sprint to 35 or it depends. So you have to, you have to shift. Um, yeah. we we did talk about it, uh, it's there's a very it's another fine tuning thing mm-hmm. where you barely unweight my I, so I'm a left leg leader so I start my sprint with my left leg I also shift when my left leg is coming over the top mm-hmm. um, so I barely back off a half a pedal stroke the second half of my pedal stroke on the right leg mm-hmm. I have sprint shifters um, which are awesome so I just hit my thumb and start start the shift and what you can do is you kind of you're not coasting you're still using the same 95 or 100 rpms but you don't have a bunch of torque on the pedals Mm -hmm. and as soon as it clicks in which is it depends depends. if you have V tap
0: you never know real fun (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) but you wait for the solid thunk yep and then you can get back into it so if you time it right it's you don't really miss out on a real pedal stroke, you miss out on the second half of your weaker sides. Pedal stroke.
0: Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's kind of, if you drive a manual transmission in a car, you know how you you have the gas on, then you let off the gas, you engage the clutch and you grab the gear. It's the same principle because if you keep pressing on the pedals and then you really jam a gear, number one, it will be jarring to your Mm -hmm. body if it does grab the gear and you'll kind of, you'll interrupt your ability to be able to keep pushing it or it, Snaps in your chain, like Pete, or it falls in between the gears, like you've had recently, yeah. which is I, scary. DI2
2: Durace with sprint shifters, and I've heard before you can shift under load. So I was sprinting, just hitting that button. <laughs> and, uh, Wham bam. Yeah, and then you, you get this, all the tension goes away. Yeah. And that's scary. a good way to crash. Totally. Um, I've seen Jeff Linder do this a couple times where he, uh, will sit down to do the shift. Sometimes um, and he, he gets back up. I he just did it in another video. Cause you, you can see from the shadow, yeah. um, that he did that and I on think a long he got sprint
0: second. on a long sprint where you're not like right in the, con- like final sprint to the line. <laughs> yeah. But if you're getting close to the line, you don't want to be sitting down to and sprint definitely to shift
1: those first five seconds of sprint of sprinting. Don't shift, be in the right gear for your first real explosion mm-hmm. and then you're tired, I mean, five seconds of sprinting as hard as you can is is hard. And honestly, that half a pedal stroke also feels kind of nice where you Mm -hmm. ease off just for, Mm barely anything hit the shift. And then you can kind of double down and go the last 10 seconds. Looking at his power his NorCal cycling videos. It almost seems like he gets a second explosion
2: when sure. he sits down for a second and shifts and he gets back up and then his power goes, bam, again. And he yeah. might,
0: and he might be consciously doing that. Right.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You I know? don't know, Jeff to let us know.
0: <laughs> i found that when I start a sprint really hard, I can always like uh, after a, like two, three seconds into the sprint, I can double down and do more. Like uh, I start it really hard and I almost lose a bit of focus or something, mm-hmm. and then I can recommit and I can do more almost every single time. And you'll see like on the sprint, it basically goes like peak and then it kind of valley, then goes up even higher. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, and that's probably because I'm not very good at you know I'm not like a pro sprinter or something.
1: Yeah, and everybody's different, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. The it's... last
0: the last point that I think we should share on this mm-hmm. is uh, warming up your upper body is not a bad idea. <laughs> before you do sprints, Uh, it can even be just like lean against your truck or your car or something, and just do some pushups or a wall, Mm -hmm. like on the wall. Even you can get down and do some sure, but you can just do it like that. Just to get, because we don't often use our upper body as cyclists, right? Mm -hmm. Pushups for
1: sure. It's a good idea to do. It's a good idea. Um, the one thing I did try on my mountain bike this morning, Mm -hmm. um, it kind of. The big wide bars. So I have 800 mil bars, Mm -hmm. uh, it really exacerbates the feeling of the pulling and pushing Mm -hmm. and everything's slower. So if you can kind of get adjusted to the feeling on your mountain bike, that's a good start. Um, the other thing is going uphill keeps the tension high.
0: And it allows you to make sure that that tension is always present. So then you can latch onto that feeling. Mm
1: -hmm. So with the tension in the pedals, you can keep the tension in the upper body and you don't, that kind of fade off. Like you were saying where you lose everything. So find a nice, like 5% hill, um, and start easy. Do these, do these at 600 or 800 Watts half speed, Mm -hmm. just like you would with a golf swing, you half speed, and then you can turn it on from there.
0: Absolutely. Good tips, Pete. Oh, thanks. Uh, we'll have a video coming out on this. Uh, we're actually going to be filming it next week and then, uh, we'll get it out to you guys as soon as we can thereafter. So, uh, look forward to that. Jack's question. He says, Jonathan, what is your bike setup going to be for Leadville? And are you going to use the Maxxis Aspen tire? And if so, what size? Good luck. Uh, I figured this is a good opportunity, Nate, for me to run my equipment set up by you because you've done this before. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so I was hoping that Maxis was going to come out with a file tread Aspen sooner rather than later that we've seen on like Nino Scherter's bike and a few of the other ones, but apparently they just have like, genuinely, they just have a few of those tires, so. Nino's tires, <laughs> yeah, basically like Nino. <laughs> so I'm definitely not going to have access to that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I'm going to be doing the 2.25 Aspen, uh, the normal one, that we all have, uh, that's, and I thought about maybe going for something a little less, not aspen like, yeah, so it's, um, so it has defined side knobs and it has a very open tread pattern, meaning that there aren't a lot of knobs in the center. And if you were to just like smash the tire down on, or if you were to put the tire in ink and then smash it on paper, like the footprint you'd see, there's a lot of casing just like Mm -hmm. the roundness of the tire that it has a lot of contact with the ground instead of just a bunch of knobs. Hmm. So the, it has basically like little chevrons in the center and then it has occasional knobs throughout and those little chevrons, uh, I feel like it's a really fast rolling tire as a result. I also feel like the, a bonus about it is since you get so much casing touching the ground, you actually get a pretty big contact patch for what the tire is, and that seems to make it pretty predictable in terms of how it slides. It doesn't have the greatest lock in traction, you know, but it ha- it's very predictable and that's a really good trait in the tire uh, that you want. So it's, and it rolls quick, uh, it's 120 TPI, which is also really good. Mm-hmm. So it, that means it's got a supple casing and I'm definitely planning on running the XO you can get them without XO, but. They're really hard to track down nowadays, but I'm definitely running XO just because a flat at Leadville would be like a day ender. No. so you don't think so? No. I feel a lot like people
2: get flats. So you just fix it and go <laughs> catch up to everybody you were with. Got it. No, I just no, need to fix it and go. It's, <laughs> go. it's right. not a day under, though. You can still, it would be, like, r- it's not like you're going to miss your nine hour cutoff time. Yeah. I feel like it would you. just
0: let out a whole lot of steam. You know what oh, I mean? Of course. You but know, even now,
2: Chrissy Wellington had a flat and Ironman fixed it without even having CO2 until someone came by and she still won. Yeah. So, she's impressive. I know. So yeah. Jonathan, you can <laughs> just be like Chrissy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Good. And that's a similar time though. Yeah. Eight that's to true. Nine hours. Yeah,
0: that's true. I guess you have a good point. I mean, if it's a short track race, it is a day ender. If it's in yeah. Leadville, it's not. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't want a flat Is the point. Yes. And I think that running the XO protection doesn't put me at a severe penalty and it basically guarantees or doesn't guarantee knocking oh, on wood. Yeah. Uh, but it, it makes it a lot more of a sure bet.
2: So for me, uh, my experience, Leadville is a gravel race that can have spots that can cut your tire. So yeah. you have to like, kind of, uh, balance that. And I was so surprised by the amount of like, uh, people running lots of grip tires. Yeah.
0: Like knobby tires, knobby
2: tires. I know. And I had a very, um, so you had a Thunderbird in the back and a racing Ralph in the front. Yep. That was probably like, for me, that was good, but for other people that were more skilled, I think they could have gone even, mm-hmm. even more. I think in the top pros go really.
1: Yeah,
0: light tread. I saw somebody on a single speed last year with a minion DHR two up front, which is basically a sand paddle. It's like an anchor. That's Mm -hmm. basically what that tire is. It does not roll fast. It's not meant to. And a high roller on the back. That person was basically like, it sounded like a dirt bike going down the road. It must've been a miserable day. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a very,
2: uh, if we're to believe, uh, rolling resistance tests, that's like, Probably an extra 40 Watts that yes. you're pushing.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Like, you can, mm-hmm. you can notice it if you've ever ridden like an Enduro bike or anything else like that. And you're oh, pedaling yeah. on road. You're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> <laughs> Who has a rope around me. That's pulling me back. <gasps> yeah, it's rough. Mm-hmm. Um, so at, at uh,
2: people do drop bar bikes. Mm-hmm. I think Jonathan, you could seriously do, um, Leadville on a gravel bike. I wouldn't, but you could, uh, yeah. and then the tires that I would kind of think that could be good would be the Vittoria Torino 40 C tires.
0: Yeah. They have that like hexagonal pattern in the middle. Then they yeah. have some side knobs.
2: Yeah. And that's like a, uh, what is that one? What, what is 40 C 1.75?
0: Um, yeah, I think so. Right yeah, on there. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, that is it's for dry conditions, which unless it rains it's dry and like yeah. dusty. I've done that myself on my mountain bike at like, uh, lost and found and, uh, the Tahoe, the Sagan Fondo, yeah. which is kind of similar conditions and uh-huh. kind of the. Um similar technical. It's kind of mm-hmm. like lost and found. That's how it's right. the te- technicality of Leadville is. Yeah. Um so that's why the whole mountain bike thing with a little bit of the, even or grinduro. Did you Grand,
0: Grand Duro? Yeah, no, I didn't do that. Kind of no. like grinduro too, Yeah. but I'm familiar um, with that terrain, so Yeah, yeah. That,
2: that's kind of what it's like.
0: That's what it seemed like from spectating. Obviously I didn't get to I was just at the aid stations, but uh, that's what it seemed like was spectating too. So yeah. Yeah, I, I might end up running those Terranos. Uh, I know that uh, Ryan Standish, friend of the podcast, he runs them in short track races, and he's actually run them in some XCOs as well. Hmm. And, the oh, only wow. t- and the only time it didn't work well was when it rained. Um, but other than that, he said it's actually really good. Hmm. And he's a bigger guy, so he runs that tire because he's like, I need marginal gains on my side since I'm a bigger athlete if it's like a lot yeah, of climbing. Yeah. I'd just know?
2: be worried about flats, but you can, you're can you pretty good at placing your tire in the right spot. Yeah,
0: and picking um,
1: lines. Yeah, it's rather than just...
0: Mm-hmm. I call true. Pete the Juggernaut for mountain biking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just point and then just go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. suspension. That's what it's for. Yeah, right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I might end up doing that. Um, I feel like if you're running and there's the the inverse relationship, if you're running a capable bicycle with suspension, you might be able to get by with a lighter duty tire. Yes. If you're running, a uh, you know, a drop bar bike or something that's a hard tail or something like that, you don't want to skimp on the tires because it's just going to pass more force through them.
2: Yeah. You would be, I mean, I think that tire is so much faster than a mountain bike tire. Yeah, I bet. Um, I think especially i on the, the gravel parts of it yeah. and a cl- Columbine climb and
0: there's the other temptation. Since I'll be out there in Colorado for for a week, I could just pick up and open the uh, the yeah. open the Yeti Cycles edition open. While should that HQ
2: test ride it? Test ride both. Yeah. Yeah. Can you ride some single track on a cross bike? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. There's a little bit of single track, but not. Yeah. Not anything. I
0: might end up trying that because that could be fun to do that one.
2: That could make so you're not looking forward to this race, and that could make you look forward to the race. Yeah, it's something interesting. Victoria on the open,
1: and just <laughs> smash it. Yeah. All arrow gear. <clears throat> and you could think of like when you could push it. Be I cool. know.
0: It'd be great, right? Be on great. the roads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although if I'm on the roads, that may just separate me from people and make me work alone. No. Ooh.
2: There's people that are faster than you. Yes. Like <laughs> this is so, this so. noticeably true. <laughs> yeah, but I mean there there will be a Leadville. So if you can get into yeah. a, a group like that, where right. they're mm-hmm. it's the Someone just said, that "If we you mentioned Keegan as a drinking game, yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, um, I agree. But there's people that are, you know, 360 FTP, and yep. you ride away with them with a 320, but yep. you're on a cross bike.
0: Yeah, totally.
2: You should try to do that. That would make it way more interesting. That'd be I, interesting. I and mean, then just be bring really lots fun. of flat repair stuff and lots of plugs in and case I'm, you get it.
0: I'd probably just run Eagle Axis on it." <laughs>
2: Yeah. You might want to do a two bike uh, could also be good because yeah. power line is so steep and column line is so steep in places, but then you could really push it on flat stuff.
0: Yeah. Cause I'd have a ten fifty in the back, but yeah, I like could... a 40. Oh,
2: yeah. I've got a access group set in my office.
0: Yeah. And I have the tap and I have an access derailleur and cassette. So I could just swap it over.
2: I have it all. Not the mountain bike one, the road one. Well, can, yeah, I don't want can, to use the road group. Okay. You could yeah. double dip, right? but I can
0: double dip. I can pair those shifters over. <clears throat> yeah. Cool. Super. Oh yeah. You can use
2: my shifters with the Oh, yeah. perfect. You got it.
0: Oh, cool. <laughs> this is
2: going <laughs> to be this way making a lot more fun. <laughs> this <laughs> is interesting. And then we'll see, but based on your experience for all these people, yeah, like what would be faster. It's just the, the only thing I was like that, It's the sidewall slice. That's the thing.
0: That's have the have thing I'm scared. For. But
1: yeah, if, if you wear a backpack, you could actually have a spare tire. Yeah.
0: Spare tire boots, that sort of mm-hmm. stuff
1: just yeah. bring a spare tire. Let, I would let it.
0: us know. Bring yeah. a spare tire. Yeah. Down in the comments below. If you're watching on YouTube, let us know if I should run this bike. Let's get a pole yes, going for sure <laughs> or a mountain bike. And then, uh, what my setup should be. Or if you're listening to this, go to forum.trainerroad.com and let oh, us know.
2: Can you put put a dropper on it? Yeah, yeah sure. do that. Put a dropper on it. Yeah. Put the access. Oh no, you can't do that.
0: I can't do that one. You'll
2: figure out some way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll find it. It could be
2: one where just a little button. Well, with the shifters. Okay, you don't need to do arrow bars, though.
0: Yeah. What do you mean?
2: Error bars on the ground. Oh, you bike. mean like
0: extensions? Yeah. yeah, no, I'm not doing yeah, okay, that. Good. no, no. I don't think you would. Jeff Kabush would kill me, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. He's <laughs> this friend. Here. He doesn't like those. <laughs> uh, Jerome says, This is Jerome. I started as a weekend rider for a year and I decided to take my training to another level and found your app in the web. Been using Trainer Road for about two months now and I started a low FTP around 148. And after two months of training using General Build, my FTP increased to 188. Nice job, man. Yeah. Says, My question is Is there a certain level of increase of FTP every month? Uh, wherein you can consider it as adequate increase or a failure of the training. I felt very strong on the bike since I started your program. And I just want to clarify if I'm on the right track to fitness. Thank you.
2: Oh, this is hard question to answer. We've looked into this,
0: uh, multiple times,
2: uh, I don't want to give away anything, (laughs) Okay, (laughs) but it's the, yeah, someone's going to do this with artificial intelligence.
0: Let's move on. <laughs> um, here's what,
2: here's some of the factors. Uh, so in right now we don't know. There's just so many factors, yeah. um, your training history. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much did you work out as a kid, right? That's going to be a huge thing, huge. uh, your age, your gender, who your parents are, uh-huh. uh, the volume that you've been doing both recently and historically, your nutrition, your sleep, your stress at work, like yeah. all of these things, natural ability. <laughs> your me- Yeah. How, um, <clears throat> mentally tough you are. Oh yeah. All this stuff is going to be put into it. Uh, and. So we don't know.
0: It's yeah. just Basically to find it. out. Yeah. Because yeah. We've looked at this before on our end and we see like, you know, some people will see a massive increase because maybe they trained a lot way back when, and then they're just getting back into it. Right. So they can see a lot of quick gains or Matt Lieto. Yeah.
2: He started out. He's so he said it on a podcast, fat kid can uh-huh. do any training, but he's got that real good parent genetics yep. with Chris Lieto being his brother too. Yep. And he went like. Super fast, like two rocket. years pro mm-hmm. level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, really impressive. And I'm not pro level. You, you could put me through the exact same stuff that he did and I would not be pro level. Yeah. yeah.
0: You'll progress at different rates mm-hmm.
2: and yeah. that's
0: just kind of, you know, kind of what it is, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that a lot of people, like we expect it to be just straightforward and I'm actually guilty of this. A lot of the time <laughs> I tell myself that nobody's different than me, right? Mm-hmm. Like it all comes down to how hard we work mm-hmm. and then I use that to drive myself to train and do all that stuff. But in the end, I do have to face the music. There are people that are different than us mm-hmm.
1: uh, as some
0: people faster, some people slower, it's and you goes. can't
1: just apply a magical number. Like you're supposed to do this much per month per work. You know, it just doesn't work like
0: that. Yeah. I think, uh, Carson city <clears> off road, <throat> uh, throat> rider actually <laughs> actually brought that up to you, right? Yeah. yeah and so it, it was
1: interesting. I, I'm sorry. I forgot your name, that whoever, whoever talked to me at the first aid station, um, said that his podcast idea was have people talk about Mm -hmm. their, what they, what their FTP was when they started kind of their training history and what they got to, Mm -hmm. um, just to give everybody a a range of what, what they can expect and, and how different people respond to training. Mm -hmm. So we just jumped into it with us, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. So we looked at all of our Our levels, uh, which I'm going to, I'm going to share the link, uh, producer Tucker will end up, I'll share this link with you to my first 20 minute test. You are all going to laugh, uh, because will get to see (laughs) terrible pacing. (laughs) Um, but, uh, so, and, and we'll share a screenshot too, so you can see that or something like that. But anyways, um, my first FTP test was with trainer road and it was after one year of riding Mm -hmm. and it was in 2013. And my FTP was 230. And at that point, I was still stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I still had motocross strength. How much did you weigh when you raced moto? I weighed 170 pounds almost. Dang.
1: Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And you're 142 right now? 147. Okay.
0: Mhm. Yeah. You'd so You'd be
1: it you would look more like um uh, Simon Clark.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which by the way, doppelganger <laughs> alert there. But yeah, so at 2:30 is where I was at. How about you, Pete?
1: Um so actually Nate and I my first FTP test I did at Indoor Power at Chad's. We might have been together. We were together. Yeah. I think we were the only ones in the class, at least from our we Our bikes were next to each other. Yes. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> um and we did a 20-minute test. Um I had been riding for about a month and a, or a couple months uh something short um yeah. but that was my first real first power meter first test first everything and i think i did 240 for 20 minutes which is about 225 to 228 ftp yep. um i'm pretty sure i went harder cuz Nate was next to me <laughs> <laughs> I bet
0: where were you at Nate
1: so on that one i had been training I had like a year of triathlon. I was mm-hmm.
0: about
2: to do a marathon, mm-hmm. my first marathon, and I believe I did a 235 FTP as my first one. I remember I did beat you. Mm-hmm. This was, this is the the You're the, pretty satisfied. The, the very, oh yeah. 235? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, yeah this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. but I think a better comparable of this is when I've taken time off for either kids or building the business, my off the couch FTP of like a year of no aerobic endurance is one hundred eighty nine with a weight of like two hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now um, I, t- I said I was going to do the ramp test, but I didn't do the ramp test yesterday. I did a big two-hour workout instead. Yeah, I'm going to raise to 350 up at 4500 feet. 4500 feet.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and today I weigh about 192. I've been lifting weights, so my w- my weight went up. And <laughs> doing a Dexa Friday, fat's gone up too. Uh, <laughs> but I got plenty of time. Cape Epic's way far away. Um, but that just shows you I'm pretty much double the watt kg and. Almost double the FTP mm-hmm. yeah. um, pretty impressive. soon. I'll be double the FTP. So there is room for people and I'm not a natural athlete. We did our VO two max test. I'm lower than you. Jonathan mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. couldn't run the first mile in, in elementary or middle school, you know, mm-hmm. run the right. first 200 meters and walk the rest.
0: You didn't grow up being super athletic
2: did marching band. Uh, I did swim team for like a year and a half, but I was in the very slow thing and I think my best 50 time was like 30 seconds. Yeah. Like in high school, so it, it
1: was not good.
0: It was probably faster. Maybe than it was ever. thirty-two seconds. Yeah,
1: and yeah, I think I'm actually about the same watts per kilo. I doubled um, pretty much because I, I I've done four hundred five or four hundred ten when I'm really fast, and that was probably at one hundred eighty one eighty-five. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's room. There's room, and you're not like do you have a special high VO2 max. You've done a test. I have a low VO2 max. Actually, uh, I think it was fifty-nine. Wow. So, so a lot of people hope. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I and I'm not that. I am an anaerobic athlete, but I am not a VO two max athlete. Um, and I think that's just from years of racing crits. Um, but even diesel, like I have diesel power, but my threshold power isn't there either. So,
0: yeah, uh, yeah. So we all start out at a different rates. We all progress at different rates. Um, and that's just kind of how it is. So last question, this one's from Carl. Then we'll get to the questions you submitted on YouTube uh, live it says, hi guys. Love the podcast. I've only been listening this year, but I've pretty much done the entire back catalog now. That's a lot of work. That's to be commended. That's <laughs> a, that's a training program in itself. It since I signed up for trainer road in January and initially tested at 241 Watts, I felt like that was below what I could do and retested a few days later at 246 Watts, having completed sweet spot base, one low volume. I retested at 261 Watts, which I was pretty happy with at this point, life intervened and I've had a couple of aborted attempts to get back on the horse since my question relates to motivation. I've been road cycling now for almost 10 years. And in that time I've never had problems with motivation to ride or train. That's pretty good. A 10 year mm-hmm. run. That's impressive. Yeah. I've lived in the middle East for the last four years. And this time of year, I have zero interest in riding outdoors with a temperature permanently north of 40 degrees Celsius. I find myself missing the grand tour roads of Southern Spain and the time I lived there and even the freezing winter rides of UK. So he, yeah, I can totally understand that just riding outside and that sort of heat would be oppressive, you know, all the time. I simply am not feeling the love at the moment. And I have a gold a podium in the master's national championships here in December, I rolled in 13th last year and I know I can do better. This isn't going to happen though. If I don't ride my bike, I've taken some time off, but I'm still really struggling. Uh, he says my pain cave set up and ready to go at a moment's notice. So that isn't any sort of an obstacle for me. The bike is permanently on the trainer. The AC always is always on bottles are in the fridge, etc. So everything is set. He says, I just hate that. I don't want to do the work. It's making me feel angry and bad about myself and I really care that I don't care I'm desperate to break the cycle and start enjoying and looking forward to training again. Any advice or suggestions are greatly appreciated. Even your great race analysis vids aren't doing it for me at the moment, despite having devoured them all. Hmm. Just Keep watching them. It'll <laughs> work just <laughs> a it says, thanks. Uh, thanks. Hopefully, uh, Carl from sunny Qatar. So this one really revolves around like getting motivation back, <clears throat> but I think that like he's been going for 10 years. Yeah. He did master national championships. It's coming back around in December. I feel like everybody needs a break from time to time, right? I mean, you, Nate, need a break from time to time. And I,
2: I have forced breaks for travel. So recently I have not needed a break and i just get upset, but I did when I did. So I've had this experience training for an Ironman where I did it too early, did too much training, and then I didn't eat enough. Mm. You just get so worn down and two to three workouts a day. It just gets a big, huge drag. Mm-hmm. Um, so what somebody told me on slow Twitch was take a week off immediately right now. And I did, and I felt better, mm-hmm. yep,
0: yeah, just like completely, yeah, don't feel and be okay with it though yeah, mm-hmm. don't feel bad yeah. about taking the time off, because a lot of the time when we take the time off, then we just go, oh, I'm just putting myself further behind. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a hard thing. Yeah, to
1: I, I have, Nate doesn't struggle with motivation. I do. Um, I think this, like, I always get the June doldrums where it's really hard for me to get on the bike and you've just been training for six or eight months and it's hard, mm-hmm. um, so I always take a couple, a couple weeks off, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to lose that much. It doesn't really matter. Like mm-hmm. if you, if you're going to stay in that state where you hate training and you hate that you don't want to train it, it's you're never going to come out of that magically.
0: Yeah. It doesn't. And even I've seen people hate training, hate training. Then they have a good result and that's temporary. Their motivation that comes mm-hmm. back as a result is temporary because you know, you're just running yourself into the ground. Um, mm-hmm. it, it can absolutely happen. I think that the other part of it too, is you, you have to make yourself not feel guilty for not wanting to train in the first place. Like it's natural and okay to feel that. And as soon as you can get over that point, then I think it becomes more okay to be able mm-hmm. to take time off. Mm-hmm. But it's okay not to feel like, you know, extremely eager to get out and to do a hard workout every day.
2: Yeah. That's I, okay. I personally need a, uh, like a goal. Yeah. So something I want to do that I work for and then, and then I enjoy the process. If I have no goal, I'm like, what is this process for? Um, yeah, I know Carl, you have a goal for nationals, but just already my wife's like, I'm probably driving her crazy cause of Cape Epic. It's like two years <laughs> away, but I'm, you've seen on Strava, yeah. Nate Pearson. Um, so like <laughs> <there>. subtle plug <laughs> I'm. Trying to do two hour trainer rides like every time, because I think that's something I need to be able to do Mm -hmm. for in the future. And you know, I, you do a bunch of two hour trainer rides and it's like, oh, it's kind of tough, but then I feel, and this is something that can help. And this helps actually with people with depression. You do the things you don't want to do. So when I finish a two hour workout, um, I feel amazing mm-hmm. in our forum. There's cycling memes and there's the picture of the cycling star who's got her arms like this, yeah. like when you finish a big workout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what you feel like. It's amazing. Yeah. And then I chase that feeling multiple times of mm-hmm. doing something hard. And it feels better when you don't want to do it.
0: Oh yeah, which mm-hmm. is
2: amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, at because the you overcame yourself, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And it you feels more like an accomplishment. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So that part's okay. But um, before we go to the last things, Jonathan. Yeah. Uh, the three, the four things I think are that can hurt motivation, nutrition. If you've changed your nutrition recently, mm-hmm. um, if you're trying to lose weight, losing weight, oh man, everything, you're angry at everybody. Everyone's, I, f- mm-hmm. I feel
0: like you almost have to set expectations. If you're trying to cut weight and keep the training load high you kind of have to set expecta- expectations and say, I'm probably not going to enjoy this as much as I normally do, yep. mm-hmm. like y- because otherwise <laughs> it's overwhelming depression.
2: Can totally, this happens to a ton of people. They don't work out because they're depressed. So check that out. Um, sleep, if you're getting less sleep. It's mm-hmm. gonna mess with your motivation and then stress at work mm-hmm. sometimes or family stress, you don't, you don't think these are impacting your motivation to train, but they are mm-hmm. where you're just so much in the, like the fight or flight all day long, yes. and then you get home and you're like, oh, I want to do is watch TV. <laughs> like, yeah. right. I don't want to get on the bike. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, because you've been, your adrenal system has been so up and, and going all day long, then you get sleepy and tired. And, uh, it's like this vicious cycle because the next day is more stressed because you're tired from the day before and everything then is harder on you. And then if you're trying to lose weight at the same time, it's harder.
0: And you're like, of course, I don't want to get on the bike and train.
2: Yeah. Yep. Um, so if you can fix those things, the motivation might come back automatically.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think another thing is, uh. You might not just take a, a total break off of riding bikes uh, if you don't want to do that, or even coming back from that, or if you have just plenty of time before an event, it can be really refreshing to just work on specific skills or mm-hmm. weaknesses that you haven't addressed before. Yeah, like maybe you're not a sprinter, maybe focus on sprinting for a bit. Maybe you're not a time trialist, focus on that for a bit.
1: Yeah, and it, and it doesn't then you don't have to have these lofty goals. You can just bite off small chunks you're like I'm going to I'm going to practice mm-hmm. sprinting twice this week yeah. and that's it I'm not worried about anything else no rides other than 2 30 minute sprint sessions if
0: Pete's smiling inside <clears> right <throat> now I can see it and he's like this I'm sounds like, oh, great that,
1: I could get back in right now <laughs> yeah. um yeah. and I think that if you if there's somewhere you miss training Think about a training vacation. That's right?
0: a good point. Go back to, like you said, to Spain and and go back to that spot and kind of to reignite. I mean, just like it's something that you'll see a lot of couples do in a relationship, right? Where they go to some place where to to respark the flame. <laughs> you and your bike. <laughs> you and your bike. Go to yeah. a place where you respark the flame. <laughs> yes,
2: this is also what some couples do. Um, probably not telling the other person but is to buy a new bike (laughs) (laughs) and try a new uh, a new flame, a new sport (laughs) so maybe not um, in Qatar like uh, Carl, because it's so hot. But if you're burnout on road, try mountain bike, right. If you're out on that. Try road or try
1: triathlon. It's a whole new challenge. Try cross or, yeah. or track. I mean, maybe there's a velodrome Yeah, something, mm-hmm. right?
0: So the, the change sure.
2: though, or even a different type of racing. I'm going to focus on crits. Or I'm going to focus on winning from the sprint and Yep. Mm-hmm. It's different than gravel races It's different than road races.
0: Yep. Yeah. Now, if you feel like it's a recurring thing and it happens sooner than it should, and you want to dissect why you're losing motivation, I think it really comes down to that nutrition, depression, sleep, stress right? Mm -hmm. Like the stress that you have from your job or from your family or from any other thing that you have, uh, the stress that training puts on you. And if that's affecting everything else, you have to kind of reconcile all of that and keep it, put it back in balance. Um, and man, I I really do think that nutrition is behind this a lot more than a lot of people think. If you're just not eating good food and you're not eating a lot of food, it's really hard to train because everything in your body is saying, I can't do this. Right. So you need to feel it. Let's go into some live questions that have been submitted via YouTube. And there's a lot of them. Oh, there's a ton. Uh, somebody says any track episodes or track related programs? I assume you mean training programs so far, many thanks. So we don't have any episodes that are specifically devoted to track racing. Uh, we did go down and ride the velodrome, but it was for aerodynamic testing. So I would love to do like scratch racing, something like that. Match racing. Maybe we should
1: get a train road velodrome.
0: Yeah. We should just build a velodrome.
1: I've thought about that.
0: (laughs) 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 So Nate genuinely has, he was honest with that. Um, so Mm -hmm. we haven't done one on that and we don't really, the closest velodrome that we have is about three hours away from us, maybe a little more Yeah, like three and a half hours. So, um, it's pretty close to specialized HQ in that area. So yeah, not a whole lot of track racing that we've done. Oh, oh and as far as training programs, forgive me. Um, yeah, actually, uh, Chad really has recommended many times. If it's a short duration event, a uh, track racing event, that you actually do the gravity plan. Yeah. Um, and that can be a good option. Short power build is beneficial for that sort of a thing as well. Really. You just want to look at the duration of what you're going to be putting out and then train for that sort of duration. And you can find that in our plans. Do
2: three quick, quick fire questions. Cool. Um, someone asks any workouts to increase VO two max? Yes. If you go to either our app or the website, there is a VO two max filter. Mm-hmm. You can let all the VO two max workouts. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, a training plan would probably be better than that. Yeah. Um, second question. When can we expect workout integration with Wahoo head units? Mm-hmm. We are working on that right now. Don't have an ETA, but we have the max amount of throughput of, of engineers working on that. So it's very, it's a high priority and we'll, we'll let y'all know when that happens and Someone else says, how can I get super fast with little to no work <laughs> drugs? <laughs> I was just going to say there's an
0: established pathway, yep. but, but that said also most people that are doping, that sort of stuff, they're doing a ton of work too, mm-hmm. at least that we see on TV, right? It's not mm-hmm. like yeah, you, you, just... you can't get super fast. Well, drugs yeah.
1: don't only, if you only take drugs, you actually don't get that much. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, EPO <clears throat> will make you great at sitting on the couch. Maybe I don't know. So there's but... no way,
2: um, the little to no work. It takes no way. work. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And yep. The, the most efficient for time. Is you do structure interval training and then you have to add volume for that. But Mm -hmm. so that, that the low volume would be our plants would be the most efficient way combining that with drugs, which you shouldn't do would Mm -hmm. be the, the next like. Level, but don't do drugs.
0: Yeah. Another guy says, Why would doing sprint work make my FTP drop 40 watts? I buried myself doing a specialty plan and I'm having trouble coming back from it. What to do? So I bet that this is an example of false attribution or misattribution in the sense that, so actually stepping back even further, there's probably no reason to do an FTP test during a specialty phase. Yeah, it um, is what it is. Because you're not trying to move that needle Mm -hmm. at that point. Instead, what you're really trying to do is just, you know, basically hone or sharpen the blade, so to speak. So you really don't need to do a ramp test, uh, within that time frame.
1: And there's a lot of, uh, it. who knows, right? Sleep, mm-hmm. nutrition, ty- all these things. It, it's,
0: uh, your FTP shouldn't drop yeah. in the specialty phase. Uh, and a lot of the time when people take a ram test, something like that, they just are doing it with varying conditions, like mm-hmm. you said, and yep. then that happens. Sprint work, isn't going to now, if you, for months just yeah. quit doing any sort of sustained work and you just did sprint work. Yes. You would see your sustainable power drop. Yeah. <laughs> that's just and how it works. And if
1: you did six months of TT training and then did six weeks of pure sprint training, yep. yes, you'll uh, see
0: it. You'll see a drop, but I don't think, yeah, yeah, that's probably not the case. Probably not the case. So, um, yeah, you just have to keep track <clears throat> of nutrition, have to keep track of hydration, you have to keep track of your sleep and recovery coming into things. Um, and the training load that you have and
1: and think about what you made yourself better at during your specialty plan.
0: Yes, because sometimes, honestly, I would take and if I'm doing cyclocross or something like that, and if getting the repeatability I need means a decrease in FTP, I'll be all about it. It doesn't matter. I'm really chasing performance. Mm-hmm. And that's what those specialty plans aim to do. Right. Uh, you know, we, we raise that FTP through the base and build phase. And then the mm-hmm. you know, specialty phase, we really focus on what you need for the event.
2: Gavin asks, uh, what is your take on the rolling resistance between using tubeless tires and latex inner tubes? So I've, uh, I've looked at this a lot and I've seen two reports. One is they're basically the same or that, uh, tubeless, you get a, a watt or two improvement. Um, mm-hmm. so for me. It's I tubeless is as good or better, but then you, you also get the flat protection of tubeless. Mm-hmm. So tubeless all day long. Yeah. For, tubeless for life. Oh yeah. Same mm-hmm.
0: Pete likes to run latex tubes and it also happens to coincide with an amazing amount of flat tires. <laughs> Correct. <So>. You, well, <laughs> you get so many, flat so tires. many, well, flats, so right? I will say
1: I didn't flat for a year. So I saved them all up and now I flat with you guys. <laughs> That's how it works. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, tubeless is easier, but I've sliced. On that ride, I've seen I, that. Anyways, yeah, I think it's bad luck. P- and no, I, so true. I didn't tell you this, but on my first ride
2: with the TL five thousand, the Continental five thousand GP five thousand TLs, hard to say. Yeah, remember I sliced it. Oh yeah, sliced them? that thing bad. I went back and I saw the, what I hit, yeah. and I I hit like it's like a piece from a car, a sharp metal edge. Yeah, so it would have sliced it was gonna slice anything, anything. Mm-hmm. anything. Yeah, and it was a huge slice. So mm-hmm. I felt bad. Uh, I put it on Strava like this happened, but I should have gone back and looked at it. Especially with a new tire. Cause if it's, yeah. it's a razor blade, yeah, don't worry about it or a piece of glass. Yeah. It's not that the tires like fragile. Yep.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, they're not
2: indestructible.
0: Right. Somebody says, Charlie says, I'm looking to, or if I'm looking to boost my FTP, would it make sense to just stay in base and build? Um, yeah. So you'll probably see more gains to a certain extent there. Um, depends how close you are to your yeah? genetic limit. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing to be said too, is I find that sometimes a specialty plan can kind of be like a reset or a break. And kind of allow you to uh to do something different Mm -hmm. and then still accrue fitness and maybe even kind of increase your ceiling, so Mm -hmm. to speak. There's enough
2: VO two work in those in the our base and build, especially spot base two, Mm -hmm. that you'll get a pretty good mix. Um and especially then if you switch around on different builds and you do maybe not sustain build but short power build, Mm -hmm. you can you can go for pretty much forever mm-hmm. on those.
1: Mm-hmm. If you're not racing, you just want to just try to raise your FTP. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how do I know when the best distance or time to start a sprint in a crit race, oh, that's a good, question. that's a good one. Uh, everybody's different and everybody has a optimal amount of power and time uh-huh. they can do. So Nate is 50 seconds, I think. Or some somewhere a minute, yeah, a minute near. longer. John's about twenty seconds. Mm-hmm. Really, I'm about ten seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I always do is measure out about. 200 meters before the finish line, and pick out something to sprint from. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's a heads-up sprint, then I know that that's when the optimal time for me to go. Um, like Nate always attacks into the last corner or two corners Dude, to go. Shut up! Sorry, <laughs> Nate's gonna start wearing different kits so you guys can't recognize him.
0: Yeah, you'll never know it's him. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, what
2: I'll do though is I'll look at a YouTube video of the race before, last lap, so they're going fast. I'll figure out where the finish is, and then I'll go back whatever, yeah. a minute or 50 seconds, see that part of the course. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a possible goal point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So pick, pick
1: the right one for you.
0: Yes. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is a really popular question that we get from a lot of people. And the answer is it depends like all great questions and answers. Uh, but he says, what plan would you recommend for increasing fat utilization? And that's, uh, so basically. The one thing that you can do to, to use more fat is to, if you do more work, you'll actually burn more fat as well as you'll burn more glycogen. In most cases, it's not just like one thing turns mm-hmm. off, right? While well, your glycogen utilization may go up, but it's, it's standardly, you know, the standard answer is if you do lo- like lower intensity work, that doesn't put as much demand to, to bring in a bunch of glycogen, then you can increase fat utilization. However, it isn't that way across the board for everybody. It isn't just like a simple blanket mm-hmm. answer and it may have different effects on people.
2: Yeah. I- there's a question asking, uh, I want to burn like more fat to lose weight or I want to be more efficient and gain a higher and burn more fat as I, I think that the
0: latter. yeah. Increasing fat, right? Yeah.
2: Increasing yeah. fat
0: or for giving increase, not increase, not getting fatter, <laughs> but increasing mm-hmm. efficiency and in utilizing fat.
2: Yes. So yes. that's going to be a mix of, um, you could go about it different ways mm-hmm. and Already said my way, but you could do the like the traditional base plans, go fat adapted. Maybe your FTP stays the same, but the percentage of where you burn fat is going to raise up. Yeah, or you just raise your FTP, be able to race everything, yeah, have a great life, eat all the food, and uh, be in general a faster racer. The only times I wouldn't do that is if like you're a ram rider, yes, mm-hmm. or something like something crazy like that, mm-hmm. a 24 hour rider, mm-hmm. I would totally be looking at fat adaption, but first i would try to raise my FTP up really high
0: and then start working on the fat adaptation. Exactly,
2: yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cuz it's going
0: to make for better performance. Yep. And and I kind of along these lines, I've seen this one kind of like hits a nerve because I've seen a lot of people talking about this lately where it's like you use way too much glycogen. And like within <laughs> like and like people say that like they get a test like I just it used way too much glycogen, I have a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't use enough fat. And it's like look, like everybody's going to utilize glycogen and if and if you use a ton of glycogen and your performance is great, yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter as long as you're feeling properly. Right now, really what they're tying that into is they're saying that's markers of like aerobic capacity and how that ties in, you know, and yeah. everything else. But <clears throat> the fact is you can take the traditional base approach. I've done that. And I actually see hardly any adaptation in terms of like hmm. increased fat utilization in terms of perception. I, don't, I haven't measured it. Um, well, and a
1: lot of the time that's so. like, <clears throat> it's one or two or 3% shifts. Right. It's would, not a would, massive, it's shift. it's not a massive shift. So that's one other thing to think about. A
2: massive shift usually happens if you're fully fat adapted mm-hmm, and mm-hmm.
1: hard to do. Yep. Uh, Evan asked Pete, how many pushups can you do? Mm-hmm.
2: Or, do, do you do pushups? Uh, or so a, how many?
1: I, uh, we had, we had a small contest here at work a couple months ago where we did max amount of t- pushups in 60 seconds, I mm-hmm. think. And I think it was about 40 or something about there. Um, which was not the best, and we also we also did pull ups. Um, Chad actually won the pull up contest, which was pretty awesome. She's and there's a lot him. of young, fit individuals here. Yeah. And Chad just strolled. He's like, "What are you guys doing?" And then he's like, "Sure, I'll take part." And <sighs> we yeah. Austin wasn't there. We have <laughs> we uh, we have uh, employees
0: that could. We we've we've mentioned Chad's pull up capabilities in the podcast okay. before. Oh, sorry, he's very no no it's fine. <laughs> he's mentioned that he could do like forty something. I think is what he said. I don't know,
2: but we're gonna have a rematch.
0: Yeah, because we need to see him do forty six. I got a couple I think other employees can go against. Yeah, awesome. Okay, one more question. Uh, Let's pick one here. Um, Okay, what's the best way to improve cornering if I'm time crunched? I have two babies and a wife at home, so I can't spend a ton of time outside. Ooh
1: uh drills really is the way i would think about it a great one that we've done at team camp is you set up two cones close to one another so that the bike it's pretty much one bike length apart or it can be a broom it can be anything two milk jugs, it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. The idea being you start at a slow speed, start at five or 10 miles an hour and make the turn in between the cones. So set mm-hmm. it out in your street. Um, and the goal is to hear your tires sing, is what we say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means you're probably going 25 miles an hour or 30 miles an hour. getting
0: close to the edge. Close
1: to the edge, and you'll feel and hear kind of this grip of mm-hmm. the tires. Mm-hmm. So, but the difference between taking them at 20 and 22 Is makes you better than most people in a race, Mm -hmm. barely anybody can take it at 25. And even the good best racers don't get to that place all the time. Mm -hmm. You just want to get comfortable at us at 10 or 20% faster than you're used to.
0: Something I could add to that, that you can do while watching the two babies at home is YouTube videos where you watch MotoGP formula one and ski racing and Yep. because those, those sports will teach you about perfect line choice. And if you can listen to formula one cars and motorcycles, you'll hear how they start to add the power and when they do, and you'll realize that it's a lot smoother than you think, uh, it can be really helpful.
1: And so fa- finally looking through the corner that you're trying to go fast, uh, mm-hmm. with that same drill, look where you want to go, not mm-hmm. where you're going.
0: Um, yeah, completely agree. Yeah. Thanks everybody for joining us. And remember you can join us on, on YouTube, forgive me. Uh, and we're going to move forward just doing it on YouTube from now on, instead of splitting it between YouTube and Facebook. So you can all come over there. If you are watching it on YouTube, please give us a thumbs up. It really helps. Uh, we we'd like that and subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening to this on whichever podcast you're listening to, uh, please give us a rating and share the podcast. That would be super helpful for us. If you want to get faster, once again, go to trainerroad.com. We'll see everybody. Thanks guys. Bye bye.